0: Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It is a low-key <laughs> video game podcast
1: and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Steven Hilger. The way you said hello implied that we've been like hiding somewhere this whole time. It's <laughs> like, hello! Yeah, th- yeah, the proper
0: way to listen to this episode is to have it be a jump scare.
1: Yeah! But <laughs> <laughs> really the, the Five Nights at Freddy's of <laughs> video game podcast. <laughs> <blah, blah>, <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh if you can't tell yet we're talking
1: about pokemon today which <laughs> this is usually the vibe if i'm being totally honest it always changes the energy yeah, yeah. pokemon <laughs> legends arceus or arceus i feel like this is the this is the gif versus gif of the pokemon yeah.
0: world i'm gonna make a stand for arceus because it just... i also feel arceus i will say canonically at least in the trailers for this game they say Arceus but uh, I know
1: but I feel like most people were like huh yeah when, when they said Arceus like yeah. I feel like Arceus just sounds more godlike I Arceus agree. sounds like the shopkeeper in the <laughs> hometown you know <laughs> yeah I agree
0: so like honestly though the creator of gif says it's GIF, you know right. uh and everybody says gif anyway so not everybody it's a little bit like Daedalus
1: making wax wings for his son and then <laughs> it's just you know. like that yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the creator's not always right you know? <laughs> anyway that game came out i think you and
0: i have been i would say for us pretty chill about this game compared to other Pokemon releases in the past.
1: About a third of season two of the show is us like making our own hype train for Sword and Shield <laughs> just based on like Tweets. Yeah, the chaos that the, the Pokemon Twitter account, whoever ran or continues to run the Pokemon Twitter account, but specifically in the year 2019, deserves a Pulitzer <laughs> Prize. Like there was just <laughs> the, the slow drip of like Corviknight and Pultigeist and just like wild shit. Cramorant? Cramorant.
0: the, the, the yeah. unveiling of cramorant as a new pokemon was like maybe you know nuclear meltdown level nightmare fuel for you and i that was a huge deal
1: we weren't even like that sure if the game was going to be good we were just like pumped at facts like we were just like <laughs> i think we were actually more pumped for the pokemon twitter account to just say something than we were about <laughs> were for the game yeah it all manifested into the reveal where they're like, in this game, the Pokemon get really big. And we're like, yes, 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 yes. yes. You thought you've seen big Pokemon. Yeah, this is what I want. So that was, that was unhinged. Here, we've been like pretty chill like you said we've been very relaxed yeah uh, we've almost even been cautious like i feel like we have both hoped this game would be good my whole mantra and i've seen this sentiment online a lot was like i respect them for taking this chance whether or not it works, I I still would rather them take this chance than yes. like just do the same thing again. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Look, th- I I said this. We I did a stream um the morning this game came out, and I I said it there, and I'll say it again. But this is the boldest this franchise has been in its entire existence. Like even even the jump from Pokemon Red and Blue to Pokemon Gold and Silver, that was still a pretty you know like. You can connect the dots between A and B there. This is finally the big swing that I think people have wanted for like at least a decade, if not more.
1: Yeah, because the foundation has changed. Yes. For the record, like Brenda and I are both longtime fans of the series. I was seven or eight when Red and Blue came out. So like I've been around. I know I know the drill with these games. (laughs) I pretty much have enjoyed all of them. That's the thing. I don't really think there's like a bad one. I think that there are some that are less successful than others but like i would say like if you want to like really kind of i think like the ultimatum on like what we enjoy out of pokemon i think listening to our bonus about crystal yeah and the game boy Advance episode i think both touch on like mm. the games that we really like from the series no surprise gen two and three yeah but all of them like have something going on and i think that it is interesting i I would like before we get to Arceus, i would like to examine like the other games that i think took kind of big leaps so i think you're right to be like silver and gold prior to now was the first game to like really change a lot but it was it was a lot of refinement it was a lot of just improvement and not necessarily like a change to the concept of pokemon and as we talked about in the crystal episode that game was developed
0: generally speaking like in a vacuum they didn't realize yet at the time while they were making it that pokemon was gonna be as big as it is now or as big as it ended up being by the time the game released they were just like oh we're just making a sequel to red and blue like that was all they really had going through their heads at the time which i think because of that allowed them to feel like they had more leeway and then as soon as pokemon becomes like this global phenomenon biggest. IP in the planet suddenly there's a lot more pressure to like not change too much because you don't want to essentially like destroy all of that IP brand building that you've accumulated, which you know I, I think has led to the constant cries from people saying like this needs to evolve, this needs to become something bigger. You can't just release the same thing over and over again. But from like a brand management and IP management perspective, the safest thing to do is the same thing that worked and made it the biggest thing on the planet over and over again, and just change a little bit. Which honestly as we've mentioned in the past feels a lot like dragon quest like that's that's how dragon quest has maintained its level throughout the years i mean that is also one of the biggest jrpgs on the planet mainly because you know what you're going to get every time you pick one up and that's honestly one of the things that i've liked most about pokemon i appreciate that every time i get a game i kind of know what the beats are going to be but i get to explore a new place hear a new story that is absolutely fucking terrible uh And and like check out some new Pokemon and just
1: kind of like lose myself in this for a little bit. I appreciate that. I, I agree. And that's kind of I think when we first talked about Sword and Shield, that was our sentiment where it's like this is not like the big console Pokemon that some people were like dreaming of. Yeah. But it's a really successful or partially successful follow up to sort of the 3DS era. Yes. And I would say like prior to Arceus, the other game that at least at the time it came out felt. Like the biggest jump was X and Y. Oh, that yeah, was the absolutely. first time that Pokemon were like 3D. I remember I, I wrote a review for that game when it came out for the old website we used to work for. And like my sentiment at that time was like they finally like shook it up a bit. But in retrospect, <laughs> it's the same foundation. It yeah. just again was like refinement and presentation. Like I would say that that Gens 2 and 3 also utilize the hardware but somewhere in the DS era, they were like, nah, whatever. Like, it yes, like, yeah, And those games like look good, but they didn't really go beyond. And right. yeah, I think the thing about the tradition is that like or the aspect of a series that is tied to like a ritual of comfort. Like I also think like I love that, you know, Shining Pearl and, and Brilliant Diamond are games. Like I kind of know exactly what to expect. It's a very comforting ritual to go back to a place you know and is familiar. Mm -hmm. But the beholdence to, like, every game has a team with a goal. Every game... You find someone's PC and then later meet who owns... Like, why <laughs> is that a ritual? Like, why yeah. is... That, was, that wasn't, that was like, a finding out Bill, like, turned his to a Pokemon was, like, a fun story beat. But, like, who was, like, every game's gotta have someone's PC that is later rebranded when... Like, it wasn't even exciting at a certain point. I think in 4th and you just meet a guy who's like, oh, yeah, that's mine. And then it's, like, you know, Ryan's PC or yeah. whatever.
0: But even, even just the idea that in the Pokemon world... <laughs> there is this like extremely, extremely useful service that exists in every Pokemon Center that everyone can make use of, but it's just called someone's PC until you meet the creator. And then they're yeah. like, ah, now I'll now I'll reveal my big secret and now it'll change the name in the Pokemon Center just for you because you met me uh, is absolutely bizarre. What, what
1: if someone's PC is actually the brand? Like it's kind of like MySpace, like that sort of a generic <laughs> like... Someone's PC. And then but if you know the CEO, he's like, I'm going to give you the VIP version. Right. This is Tom's PC. Yeah. This is Tom's PC. Yeah. (laughs) Like stuff like that where it's like we don't need. And I think the big thing for me that like definitely harmed the series was the sort of forced importance of the legendaries like after yeah, I agree. after gen 3 like i i think this spectacle was lost and that, that's something that i want to come back to with rcs because i think that like <laughs> pokemon were not feeling you could make the god of time and space quite literally they did and they're in this game too more on that in a bit you can make these gods and they feel like nothing because we just use the master ball we got yeah and now yeah. we have them in someone's pc and it's essentially turning the sort of this fantastic world into an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. You don't, you never really felt that. And I think for me, honestly, the, the, the turning yeah. point
0: was, yeah. uh, was Emerald. I, as much as I love Emer I mean, you know, if you know, but I love <laughs> Emerald, um, someone's favorite game. <laughs> Emerald I think was the moment where I was like I don't care about legendaries anymore and from that point yeah. on because I th- I think the main games of Ruby and Sapphire as we talked about in the Game Boy Advance bonus has such a strong conceit when it comes to how the teams are using those legendaries for evil right like Groudon essentially erasing all of the water in the planet making the entire planet land and just like completely destroying the ecosystem in that way is like an actually scary thing, especially yeah. when it like almost happens in the story. And the same way with Kyogre making the entire world just water and and essentially making people need to like float around. That's also scary in its own way when it's raining in every single part of the region the entire time. You have this sense of like, oh, my God, something actually terrible is happening and I need to stop it. Then you get to Emerald, which introduces... Requaza which is this like you know kind of like sky dragon vibe that I don't know. I, I don't I feel nothing. I feel nothing about this. You know, like there's re- there's really there's no good story reason to have Rayquaza here. It just like is another thing that you do. And from that point on, that's kind of what the vibe became. Even in Diamond and Pearl, when you have uh, Dialga and Palkia, you know, the gods of time and space, like it's really hard to show how those Pokemon are terrifying in the moment. When you go to what I think is called Spear Pillar and you yeah. fight one of one or the other, like when you're trying to fight. Dialga. I mean, like, the effects that they have up there in Spear Pillar to, like, try and show you on the Nintendo DS that this thing is fucking with time, like, very weak. Like, it just doesn't feel... Yeah, and you just use the Master Ball, and they're like, oh, you did it. Yes, it doesn't feel threatening <laughs> in the slightest. Yeah, and it, you're right, and they give you the, the Master Ball, like, literally in the story sequence before that. So, essentially, from that point on, it's just like, eh, I don't really care about this at all. And I think the least I've cared is Sword and Shield, probably, if I'm being honest. I mean, I think even the game was, like,
1: just too dumb dogs <laughs> check out these weird looking dogs yeah. then there was like eternity or something it was like oh and the thing is like i think tying the legendaries to the main story really diffuses them as well i think it was very it paid off that in red and blue and in silver and gold you had to seek them out you had to find yeah, where yeah. the legendaries were and like mewtwo was like a really interesting like there was a lot of like environmental storytelling with like yes. what mewtwo was and with the dogs having to actually like trace their steps. It's a really cool idea, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I think um that, that worked way better for me than here we go. Okay, now to the Elite Four. It's the order is also weird. Like we save the world and we catch a god and then we have to fight the Elite Four. Right. It's like, why do I have to go back to like wreck soccer? And they're much stronger than you
0: are at that point, which yeah. means that everybody in the Elite Four could have done the thing that you did. Why are they letting a teenager do this? Why <laughs> are they yeah, letting a, a ten year old never mind, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> fight the god of time
1: (laughs) (laughs) anyway so pokemon i think it's kind of had this internal tug of war for a while of like (laughs) wanting to change and i think it's a great point you brought up of of it being tied to this one of if not the highest grossing media franchise on earth so like
0: it's number one there's
1: there's really not a lot of room to like take wild chances and i i would say that even with arceus which i promise we're going to talk about soon even with Arceus, i think the fact that this game is coming out in january and also is named pokemon legends to me and i don't know anything this is just a guess but to me that reads as nintendo and game freak not quite ready to go all in on this they're yes. like here's yes. here's a january spinoff and if you like it then maybe well that will inform what comes next right it's it's honestly weirdly
0: i mean it's it's strange to compare uh hardware to to games in this sense, but it's kind of like when the Nintendo DS was announced. And it was released under the guise of like, this is not replacing the Game Boy Advance. That was what that was Nintendo's line when the Nintendo DS came out. This is not replacing the Game Boy Advance. It's just another way that we're going to try and create games. And essentially the idea was let's see how it sells in the first year. And if it does well enough, then it will replace the Game Boy Advance. Right. right. But the idea was they had a lot of teams still making Game Boy Advance games at the time just in case the DS was a flop, which obviously it wasn't. But that's what this feels like to me. That's very much what this feels like. And uh, should we should we start talking about it?
1: Yeah, so I really, really like RCS. I think it's great. I think the unanimous sentiment that I see a lot, because the reviews are, are a little bit all over the place, but the, the statement that I see a lot and the statement that I feel while playing it is that the experiment paid off. Like the yeah. foundation, change to how this game plays compared to past pokemon games ironically how the way this game plays feels closer to the original intention of the series mm. is like a plus you passed i think there's more nuance with everything else in the game but i just think that the core design the core gameplay and the sort of uh change up to the formula i think was wildly successful yeah i
0: very 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 with you i i fucking love this game like i yeah was concerned obviously and we've mentioned that multiple times on the show i was i was concerned about this because game freak while i pretty much at least like every game i've played from them Including Pocket Card Jockey. And
1: Drill Dozer. Can't forget (laughs) that. Drill Dozer. I do love Drill Dozer.
0: I can also recognize, I think, uh, where a lot of the fandom lies, which is like, I do want something new. This is the biggest IP in the planet. I want them to take a bigger risk. I want them to throw a lot of money behind a thing and like make Pokemon the thing that we've all dreamed it could be. So the idea that they were like, hey, check it out. It's Breath of the Wild, but it's Pokemon was both exhilarating and terrifying And I do find that this game both accomplishes a lot of what it's out to do as you're saying but feels more like a blueprint for a sequel than anything else like I agree yeah it feels to me like they they didn't throw all the money behind it that they could have because they want to hedge their bets a little bit in case it was not what people wanted so if anything playing through this game is making me more excited for whatever's gonna come next but that said I mean there's so much in here that's working for me in a lot of ways it feels like a game that is just like made for me and exactly the (laughs) shit that I like and I'm honestly surprised at how much like hardcore Pokemon fans like it. That's the thing that's been most surprising to me because there's so many deviations from the things that we know. For example, like there are no gym battles here. You're not yeah. like... Going around the Pokemon League to try and get all the badges and then like succeed in that sense. The game is literally about filling out the Pokedex like it is about catching them all. It is about studying and hanging out with Pokemon, which for like a more quote unquote hardcore fan base, I would have expected that that leaning back away from battling would have been. The thing that would have turned them off, it would have been like, oh shit, I don't, I don't want this. Actually, like, I don't want to just roam around and like, you know, zoom in and throw a pokeball at something. But seeing the response to it has been very interesting. I think in that sense,
1: yeah. And I mean, I think in terms of the battles, what stands out to me is how difficult they are, but also how Mm -hmm. simplified they are, which we'll get to later. But I guess just to sort of sum up, like how this game plays, just in terms of the overall design, like Brendan said, it's it's an open world. The marketing very much looked like Breath of the Wild. I wouldn't say. Outside of, like, some of the aesthetic and the menu, which was, like, almost (laughs) one-to-one, I wouldn't say it actually shares that much in common with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I agree. I'm weirdly getting way more Monster Hunter than anything else. I really want to dig into that later. Yeah, because really the core gameplay loop is, like, it's set in a time where, like, the wilderness is kind of overrun with Pokemon and Pokemon are largely seen as either mysterious or dangerous. Yeah. But there's a strong interest in getting to like understand them and to possibly tame them. So like, in this world, like catching a Pokemon is a big deal. Yes. So when you show up and catch three, everyone is like, "What the fuck?" Uh, yeah. yeah, go do it. Which <laughs> the Pokeball has just been invented is is yeah. uh, like an actual line of dialogue.
0: Which I just <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole episode about the Pokeball science. Yeah, yeah I, I just we later we have to talk about the fact that like i would say every 30 to 45 minutes of this game there's a line of dialogue that is said with almost no pomp and circumstance that completely radically that
1: undoes decades yes. of basic understanding <laughs> changes <laughs> yeah. everything yeah. Yeah. you know about the pokemon yeah. world it's as if like in a dc comic someone was like batman your alloy head like would work for this <laughs> right it's like what what <laughs> can you use your ice breath real quick yeah sure Like I always do. Oh, the Flash.
0: We know that the world moves under you and you're not actually moving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your power to move the Earth. (laughs) Martian Manhunter, have you invented Mars yet? What? (laughs) I thought he was from Mars. Anyway, so (laughs) the game... I would say the, the loop of the game is going into these open but kind of segmented areas. So it feels like Monster Hunter where it's like, okay, here's this zone. Yeah. Here are the Pokemon that are there. And essentially you walk around, you roam. Um, The the navigation feels good. It's not like Breath of the Wild where you can like climb anything or whatever. You're definitely like ill-equipped for this world, which is kind of the point of the game. Mm-hmm. The game kind of wants you to feel like this is a dangerous place that you have to really prepare for. And when you get your starter Pokemon, which is either Cyndaquil, Oshawott, or what's the owl's name? Rowlet. Rowlet. Sorry, that was the one you chose. I should have remembered. Yeah, that was fucked up, man. <laughs> uh, they refer to that your starter as your partner, which I actually think is is significant because that's the Pokemon that's going to like protect you for the beginning part of the game. And, yeah. and you really have to rely on them to do anything. So as you're navigating these environments there will be, like, berries on a tree or, or like, ore to mine. But you actually have to throw your Pokeball with a Pokemon inside to, like, interact with that and to get things. You can also just, like, if you see, like, you'll see Pokemon navigating around and you can, like, stealth hide in the bushes so they don't see you or you can just run up to them. And depending on the type of Pokemon, like a Bidoof, for example, not very threatening, you can just walk up to them, throw a Pokeball in their face and probably <laughs> catch them. Yeah. And... There are other Pokemon, I think the first one you meet that's more aggressive is Shinx, where you'll see above their head if they're like trying to attack you, the player, not your Pokemon. They're, They're trying to attack you. Then you have to throw out one of your Pokemon, do a quick battle, and then you can try to catch them there in a more traditional way. But what that means is that in this game, battling carries a lot of weight. When a trainer challenges you to a battle, or when you have to battle a wild Pokemon, it's because you have no other option. And it, it yes. really feels tense. And it, it plays largely the same way. What's cool is that you can actually move as the trainer to like see what's happening at a different angle. So it's seamlessly integrated with like the environment, which really works.
0: Yeah, and you can get hit with attacks also. Which yeah. is wild. Like if you position yourself in the wrong spot, which has happened to me a couple times, because I just like forget I can move, I'll just be like directly in the line of sight of a Shinx using Thunder Fang or something. Uh, yeah, and then it'll hit me instead of my Pokemon, which is not good.
1: So similar rules apply. That being said, there are there are tweaks to basic stuff that I find really surprising. Like for example, the level of your Pokemon doesn't seem to matter nearly as much. Like it's kind of wild. Yeah, I had like a level thirteen Cyndaquil up against like a level six pokemon but if that pokemon is just like a stronger pokemon it will hold its own so yeah. like you have less security and you also level up by doing like anything so you level up by catching pokemon by interacting with stuff which was actually it seems like they took a lot of positive lessons from the let's go games and that yeah, like i was gonna say the same thing the way to gain experience isn't always battling and it seems like the best way to gain experience is is to fill out the Pokedex, which, like, every Pokemon in the Pokedex will have little kind of in-game missions. So it'll be like, catch three Bidoofs, and you'll hit this milestone. Catch six Bidoofs. Fight six Bidoofs. Catch this Bidoof in the daylight kind of right. thing. Watch, and a, more- watch a Bidoof use Tackle like exactly four times yeah and as you do that you unlock more the pokedex and then you can go to the professor and be like here's everything i've learned and that will upgrade your experience and also upgrade your overall like trainer level which i think there's 10 stars i'm currently at two but i'm close to three. Oh wow it takes a while it takes a while to to upgrade that and that also allows you <laughs> kind of like it's essentially your badge where it will be like, okay Pokemon up to this level will obey you. Mm-hmm. But that's actually really important because the Pokemon are leveling up in your team faster than you might be gaining the stars. Yes. So you have to be very careful with like who is in your team. And again, that adds to this feeling that Pokemon are this wild, untamable force. that you have to, like, respect. Absolutely. And and the game is largely, like, even though there are battles and there are, like, these ways to tame wild Pokemon, the game is asking you to kind of respect nature and respect Pokemon in a way that all the other games kind of hypocritically said, Mm -hmm. but didn't really ask the player to do. Right. So I think, like... Going back to what we said about the legendaries feeling kind of whatever here, like even going up a mountainous path and getting literally rocked by Geodudes, I like feared Geodudes. I feared the Mm -hmm. mountain. I feared certain areas of the map where I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet, or I don't know if I have to like prepare, go back to camp, craft some Pokeballs and some potions that side of the game, which is the game, but that like core loop is fantastic. I totally agree. Yeah. It's it's really hard to stop. And also just the act of catch whenever you catch a pokemon a little like firework will go off and it's like the most pleasing thing <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's a great noise. So, this game is like really it, it it it's more difficult in the way that like battles are more tense. You're going to like get most of your team wiped out you might get killed like as the trainer yeah but like the the overall experience is like very chill and very it does if if anything that it pulls in breath of the wild it captures that like the wilderness is a dangerous place but the game is somehow relaxing and again that's also like monster hunter so yes that If that sounds appealing to you, you're going to have an incredible time playing this. Yeah, Um, there are only really a couple caveats, but I don't think any caveat to this game undoes that loop like in any way. It's just that there are other factors that could have amplified it, but nothing gets in the way of it.
0: Yeah, I, I I think there are a lot of things that are probably worth bringing up as caveats, but I think at the end of the day, you're totally right. I mean, the things that are less than don't take away from the things that they've succeeded on. Like at the end of the day, what they've created is an incredible gameplay loop foundation for whatever is going to come next. Like the things that need to be fixed are honestly pretty easy to fix. I think if you had more production dollars and more time behind the thing, you know, things like the graphics, which a lot of people are talking about, I I kind of go back and forth on. Sometimes I like them. Sometimes I don't. Weirdly, I've I've found, you know, sometimes when I'm running around at night and things are, you know, dark and I'm watching uh, like ghost Pokemon kind of float around and the stars are out and stuff or it's raining or whatever like it honestly looks like good and I think the art style is cohesive and there are other times where I'm like you're telling me that this is dirt,
1: but it doesn't really even look like dirt. It just looks like brown. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. it. Um, also, at one point I was handed a flute that was just like an unrendered it's cylinder. It's just a like, cylinder. Yeah, <laughs> <like>, alright. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, stuff like that. But the Pokemon look great. Like, the Pokemon and yes. the animations and, like, the way they'll, like, look worried if they see you and run away. Like that Like That is all incredible. Yeah,
0: I was gonna say it, uh, it seems like a lot of the uh, time and care was put into rendering the Pokemon, which I think is, is a really successful thing. But just the kind of take another step back and and talk about like this core loop and and why I mentioned earlier that I think this is a game made specifically for me or it feels that way is like there's nothing I love more than playing open world games in a way that is like, I don't give a shit about the story. I'm not going to interact with it at all, except for like when I'm bored doing the other thing that I'm doing, which is just exploring and hanging out and like existing, which if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that it usually takes me like 15 to 20 more hours than it's supposed to to beat every single game. I, I'm i like not very far in the story. I just did the Cleavor thing, if you know what I'm talking about.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, I just did the Cleavor thing. I'm... Currently, uh, rank four, and all my Pokemon
1: are like level like thirty something. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm the opposite. I'm level two, and all my Pokemon are like twenty, but I'm farther along the story. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. and I've talked to a couple other people who have this game, and I'm very much the outlier in that sense. Um, and the reason being is that I love this loop so much. I love this idea of just going out and existing in the world, finally seeing Pokemon just wander around in their own element and like catching shit constantly. Uh, going through these uh, like really wonderful Pokedex entries, battling stuff, going like way outside of my comfort zone and finding areas that are like supposed to be way too difficult for me and like seeing how good I can be about sneaking up on an Abra, which unsurprisingly is extremely difficult because as soon as they see you, they teleport away and they don't come back. Stuff like that I found really, really interesting. There's this other side of the game that they don't even talk about really for a while, or at least I haven't even seen a tooltip about it or anything, but you can go into the internet set Settings and turn them on and like have the game always connected to the internet and it turns into like a death stranding scenario where if another trainer either on your friends list or just randomly i found just like people out in the wild um, if they get uh, like rocked by a Pokemon and they like die out in the wild, uh, if they black out out in the uh, wild, they'll drop their satchel of items um, and a bunch of stuff. So if you if you black out, you lose some of your items that you have with you and you can go out and retrieve those satchels and then bring them back. Uh, and, and essentially, like those players get those items back uh, and you get rewarded. Oh, that's for amazing. That. And that experience of like, oh, shit, there's a satchel over here and I haven't been there and I'm interested in like what that area is has been so rewarding because so frequently I'll go like way out into areas where things are like 10 levels above me and it's horrifying. It's horrifying. This is the first game that really does acknowledge how scary Pokemon can be. And I think like makes good on it. as you were saying like even geodudes can be terrifying at a time, you know. But like when you're, you know, level 2, like when, when you're uh when you the trainer are level 2 and your Pokemon are like level 10 to 15 and you find yourself in an area where there's like driftloons And their evolved form and, like, Kadabras and, uh, you know, a lot of alpha Pokemon, which are these, like, much larger, scarier Pokemon with red eyes, like... You know a heracross running around and stuff that like can absolutely kick your ass in like a second it's a really tense and terrifying thing to be like i'm trying to just go pick up this item for somebody else and not get into any battles i'm not even trying to catch things because i know like the pokeballs i have with me probably aren't good enough to do that that loop has been rewarding all its own so there's like so much to do outside of the story now i, I mentioned before i like to play open world games where it's like oh i don't give a shit about the story i just want to hang out the story i actually think is really fun so far like i'm actually really enjoying what they're having me do in the story which is kind of surprising
1: it is it is again we we are obsessed with pokemon narratives whether they're good or bad yes and usually they're bad in a bizarre way that's like this is maybe the only good one i think so too i think that There's a lot of bizarre stuff (laughs) happening, but I enjoy, similar to Monster Hunter, I enjoy the focus of the player's relationship with the village and, like, the fact that everyone kind of has a role and, like, your relationship with the leaders of different, like, factions in the village and then the other teams and villains i just sent you a screenshot of um three bandits that are the sisters of misfortune which like (laughs) i immediately love yes Uh, and then there's also like a hint at like the teams forming there's like team diamond and team pearl and one team is obsessed with time Mm -hmm. and the other's obsessed with space and they hate each other because they think that time is better than space
0: yeah their their idea is that um (laughs) the god of the sino region One of them thinks that it's the god of time. One of them thinks it's the god of space and they they kind of like clash and have been clashing for it seems like a really long time about that. And then and the time guy
1: will be like, what a waste of time whenever he's pissed.
0: The kind of like this is kind of where it gets even closer to Monster Hunter than I think they even intended. But the idea is that these are two kind of like more native, I guess, like peoples of this region. And you as a galaxy team who are going out and like creating the Pokedex and trying to build this village and stuff kind of have this like colonizer vibe. if i'm being totally honest which i think is kind of surprising that they're even exploring that at all because both the diamond and pearl teams like seem uneasy about their relationship with one another obviously but even more so they almost unify in their unease about you existing yes Um, you the player and you as like galaxy team in general like oh who are these people with all this like kind of modern shit coming in here Uh, and like trying to capture Pokemon, like they live alongside Pokemon. There's one, there's one thing that totally blew my mind. Just one line of dialogue that I like absolutely lost it at. Um, there's a person you meet from the diamond team named Mai who, uh, mentions that she and her Munchlax were raised together like siblings. And I was like, holy shit. She's like, like, I would never put my, my, uh, my Munchlax in a Pokeball. Like that's a, that's a horrible thing to do. So then I
1: wonder if what the professor said is just a lie to make you feel better about it. Cause This is going back to the lore. Yeah. In the very beginning of the game, which we need to talk more about even still. But in the very beginning, the professor says, these are Pokeballs. Every Pokemon has the power to shrink themselves. Yes. So we just rely on that power and they like love it in here. It's just like an empty shell for them to naturally shrink into, yes. which like maybe now hearing that line of dialogue of like people resistant to that, maybe that's bullshit. Maybe that It is just shrinking them against their will. Yeah. I mean, maybe we can start getting more into this stuff. But
0: like, <laughs> I think one of the things that has been very interesting about this game to me is that I think they're lying to us a lot. And I don't I don't think they're like, I don't think the characters are lying on purpose. Like, I don't think Professor Leventon really understands how Pokeballs work. I don't think he
1: knows anything. He seems extreme. He's like the least equipped professor (laughs) in in the series so far. He's like, all my Pokemon ran away. You caught three. It's like, dude, they're like children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing the thing i found very interesting is i think this game is is finally doing something that i've been curious about as, as like a fan of this franchise for a really long time which is kind of like demystifying some of the pokedex entries around around some of these creatures because like over the years the pokedex entries have gotten more and more terrifying and also a little bit like paradoxical and strange weirdly enough i wrote a piece about this for our very first newsletter that we ever released when we were doing a newsletter i had a a whole piece that was specifically about like what it means to read too much into media and how there's two versions of doing that. One version is like you're doing it to prove your superiority over a video game for children uh, and just like prove that you know more than this fictional world where creatures do all this crazy shit like in Pokemon but there's another version of this which is like actually if you read too far into something you can come out the other end with an even greater appreciation for it um specifically I I think Pokemon is like a really wonderful example for this because some of the Pokedex entries are like absolutely terrifying and this when did I write this when did this happen this was uh in 2019 yeah I wrote this and a lot of it is essentially like, okay, let's just like look at Pidgeot as an example, right? The, the the Pokedex entry for Pidgeot in red and blue is when hunting, it skims the surface of water at high speeds to pick off unwary prey such as Magikarp, which is like, oh, that's just a thing birds do. That's like a normal bird move is to just like swoop down. But then you get into Pokemon Yellow and they've changed the entry for Pidgeot to this Pokemon flies at Mach 2 speed seeking prey. <laughs> its large talents are feared as wicked weapons, which starts to raise some questions like, Okay, who is fearing its large talons as wicked weapons? Like, you're not writing this Pokedex entry for the Magikarp. You're writing this entry for people, which means that Pokemon are probably hunting people at some point or another, (laughs) which is terrifying in itself. But then you get even further, right? Like you could keep going down this line of like, okay, Pidgeot's existence is terrifying. Like Pidgeot by itself. Ignore every other Pokemon. If Pidgeot existed in this world, a Pokemon that could break the sound barrier can fly that fast. You're hearing sonic booms constantly as Pidgeots are flying at Mach 2. (laughs) But they also have the precision to pick up a fish out of water without like immediately disintegrating it into Guts is wild like that is a terrifying creature but then like add any other pokemon to the mix machamp for example it's pokedex <laughs> entry from pokemon yellow one arm alone can move mountains using all four arms this pokemon fires off awesome punches we're not the dominant species in the world of pokemon like it's very right. clear that there's no way that we would be able to live alongside them uh victory bells entry said to live in huge colonies and deep jungles although no one has ever returned from there <laughs> Grimer's entry from Pokemon Red, sludge exposed to x-rays from the moon transformed into Grimer. It loves feeding on filthy things, which implies that the moon in the world of Pokemon is constantly emanating x-rays. (laughs) <laughs> down to the planet and turning our trash into sentient beings like Garbodor. i love that yes and they're like reminders of our excess and our waste that have been made real by the moon so you have all this stuff but the biggest thing for me and this is where it gets into what pokemon legends is doing which i think is fascinating Here, here's a pony entry from pokemon stadium capable of jumping over the eiffel tower in a single giant leap its hooves are 10 times harder than diamonds what do you mean the eiffel tower there's no eiffel tower in the world of pokemon okay what about this one this is this is ghastly's entry from fire red a being that exists as a thin gas it can topple an indian elephant by enveloping the prey in two seconds what do you mean indian elephants what do you mean there's indian elephants in pokemon so my thesis statement in this piece that i wrote in 2019 was essentially who wrote the pokedex There's a version of this where it's like, okay, uh, you know, Pokemon professors over the years have been doing this, but how would they have the context for what's happening in our real world outside of Pokemon? My thesis statement in this piece. was the inclusion of I'm just going to read directly from this piece so the inclusion of monuments and creatures from our world can really only indicate one thing someone from our earth found themselves in the Pokemon world and kept detailed notes they used vocabulary and imagery we'd understand to make clear that we as in you and I are not equipped to handle the terrors of a world in which gargantuan birds pierce the sky at speeds faster than the human eye can register and four armed humanoids literally reshape the ground beneath themselves with their hands (laughs) a world in which ghosts are proven to exist and act as malicious poltergeists actively seeking to drain the life of their unsuspecting victims it's a world in which even the cutest creatures harbor immense destructive power it's a world in which gods are real and walk among us the pokedex exists as a warning a single extended yelp into the ether in the hopes that others like its scribe do not befall the same fate this is
1: literally the plot of pokemon legends arceus (laughs) this game opens with god a conversation with god yeah not even arceus or arceus as we have depicted them but like a ray of light a beaming light yeah. who pulls a
0: person from our world essentially us into the world of pokemon right which and is gives like them a cell phone yeah and gives them a cell phone <laughs> <laughs> shaped in its image yeah, <laughs> which is shocking by itself right it's like okay a person yeah. from the real world has been pulled into the world of pokemon but then to follow that up with okay now you need to write the first ever pokedex means that us as the players writing the pokedex have all of this contextual information about the real world so we're just writing the pokedex based on the things that we already know things like the eiffel tower things like indian elephants i don't know if that was one of the reasons that the story of this game is the story of this game, but it does explain the thing that people have been talking about in message boards for like literally 20 years now. Like how <laughs> does the Pokédex have reference to things that exist in the real world and not in the Pokémon world?
1: It's wild that this game exists and this yeah. is the story they're choosing to tell with it. I love that read. I'm fully anticipating a time travel twist though. Like I feel like they're gonna a little bit undo that. Like the idea that they're from our world. I just they reference like the hero of old and they call you like the person who fall from the sky. Like, I just feel like there's going to be like, Oh, Dialgia wanted you here. You know, like it's, mm-hmm. there's going to be something like that. that's going to happen, but it is, it is eerily one-to-one with your, uh, your thesis there. That's very funny. I think, I think that's what's happening and it's exciting. I just got a flashback of, um, your masks, Pokedex entry that implies that like when people die, they become your masks <laughs> yeah. and the mask that the spirit is holding. The <laughs> resembles their face when they were human that's terrifying is, yeah that's the silent hill like, in actually pokemon.
0: have you seen um have you gone down like the drifloon stuff yet in this game i have a drifloon their name's agnes have you done like the side the drifloon side quest no okay so drifloon like very famously has one of the more horrifying pokedex yeah. entries <laughs> because it's such <laughs> right. a cute like balloon ghost pokemon the idea is that um drifloon pretends to look like a balloon specifically so kids like human kids will grab onto like one of the strings and they will pull them high into the air until they like suffocate and die essentially. Oh my um, god. And that's like the Pokédex entry for Drifloon. One of the things I think is so fascinating about this game is that it seems to be, you know, it in the title of the of the name of the game Pokémon Legends, it seems to be kind of exploring those legends and where they come from and why people think these things about Pokémon, right? Like if the first Pokédex was written at a time when Pokémon were something to be feared and they were mysterious and like unknowable, one of the first things that happen or, sorry to spoil a side quest in this game but, but I'm going to in this case because I think it kind of explores the larger thing that's going on here. You hear that there's been a drift loon showing up at the beach at night, like near the village, and that like sometimes kids are seen playing with the Drifloon uh, and you have to go out because one of the kids who has been seen playing with the Drifloon has not come back from the beach after playing around like at night it's like deep into the night at this point so you have to go out at night and go explore the beach and you see that there's a Drifloon and a kid there and you talk to him and the kid is like the driftloon won't let me leave like it wants to keep playing but like I have to go home <laughs> Oh no! essentially yeah. um, and you can see how that story right like this storyline of like okay kids are playing with driftloons, but like this one time a driftloon wouldn't let a kid leave the beach could get extrapolated out into the Driftloon only exists to kill children, you know, like, right. of course, this horrifying ghost Pokemon only exists to kill kids at the beach. It's kind of wild. I, I think this has happened more than once. There are a couple instances in which like these more terrifying Pokedex entries have kind of been revealed to be like weird misunderstandings via side quests, which I think is really cool. And it almost makes me wonder if that's why they chose the Pokemon that they did to be
1: in this game. Mm. Yeah, cause it's a little bit of a like uh, meshing of different generations because even the yeah. starters are Syndical from Gen 2, Oshawott from Gen 5 and Rowlet from Gen 6, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. I, I haven't done a ton of the side quests because the ones I've encountered are like, I'd love a Wurmple. I'm like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that
0: one's, uh, I love that yeah. one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are some that at least examine, like, symbiotic relationships between people in Pokemon, where there's a woman who needs a Geodude to, like, help with her job, basically. Mm. And so I got her a Geodude. Yeah, did and, you do the Bidoof one? Uh, oh, the Bidoof for, like, running amok in the village? Yeah. Uh, no, I've just, I've weirdly been doing a lot of the main quest because I keep accidentally progressing it. so like, I keep wanting to like explore more and then they're like, oh, you're finally here. I got to the point, the cleaver part where the kid is like, are you ready to do it? And I said, no, cause I wanted to do other things. And he was like, what? How could you after all we did to set up? And I was like, all right, fine. I'll do it. Oh yeah. I did the same thing. I wanted
0: to change which Pokemon I had at the front of my party. Cause I thought that I was just immediately yeah. to get into a battle. I wasn't sure. So I, I backed out so I could like switch to something that would be strong against cleaver and uh and and the kid goes after all this time we've been setting this up for so long you just back
1: out i felt bad so i I just did it anyway but yeah i um my advice would be to because i feel like in most pokemon games i'm very picky with who's on my team like i don't really Mm. like i i don't really catch a lot of pokemon other than the ones i actually want but this game makes you catch so many and you don't have a pc this time there's no someone's pc there's everyone's pasture which is uh you just have like open pastures full of, in my case, badoofs just running around. (laughs) Um, And you can go like they're in the village. You can go and see them, which is actually really cool. My advice though is like, don't like invest too immediately in Pokemon because you're probably going to catch a lot of different versions of them. So like I've been kind of like over time being like, okay, here's who's like got a spot on my team and then I'm going to leave the other spots open for whoever I find next. Oh, that's interesting. My move has been specifically
0: bringing Pokemon along with me that I have to evolve for their Pokedex entry. Like
1: if, if
0: completing their Pokedex entry means I have to evolve it at some point, which sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, then I'll bring that along with me. So like right now I have like a Mime Jr a Ponyta, um a geodude and oh and a Drifloon with me at the moment specifically like just so they can be on my team and in my party until they evolve and i'll swap them out with another one um, gotcha but uh I, I also do try
1: and keep like a good kind of like type yeah uh dis- dispersal i don't know you know what i mean i have uh I have Cyndaquil, who i chose as my starter uh partner pokemon who's evolved to whatever the middle stage is mm-hmm. i have a dust Ox named solstice my cynical is named homer And then I also have a Crow Gunk, who I am obsessed with. I love Crow Gunk and (laughs) Toxicroak. He, like, one-shots everything with with Venom Shock. Amazing. And Dustox, and uh, I think that's it for now. Oh, and then Shinx's Evolution. Yeah. forgot what it's called.
0: I think one of the things that I am most excited about with this game, and the reason I think we're going to talk about it probably a lot more than we already have, um, especially, like, I could see this coming up again in Gody conversations, um, is... You and I, as far as I know, unless you're further than I think, you and I are still in the Obsidian Fieldlands, which is the first place that you go.
1: I've gotten to the next area. You've gotten to the
0: next area. There are six areas total. Yeah. And I have spent about 10 to maybe 15 hours in just the Obsidian Fieldlands
1: so far. (laughs) sorry to laugh i played this game for four hours and i'm in the secondary already. <laughs> i just i the
0: the thing about the obsidian field lands or at least like the way the progression works in the game is uh you start off at one of the base camps which just to kind of drive this home even more like the base camps look exactly like they do in monster Hunter, yeah. uh which is fun but you make your way from base camp to new base camp to new base camp is essentially the idea but the obsidian field lands, Uh, quest line or like the the way the main story goes kind of takes you in a straight line from like one base camp to the next place which is like up on a mountain to the next place which is kind of like in the back more towards like where the cleavor thing happens and that's just a straight line but there are all of these other areas to like the northeast and southwest that you can explore that are completely uh, essentially like You're you're like unincentivized from going there for any reason from a story perspective. The only reason I started going out there was because there were lost satchels in those areas. And once I realized how much space there was unexplored by the main storyline, I was like, I got to unlock this whole map. I have to see this whole place and like understand what's going on here and like where I can go, where I can't go, things like that. And that's where you start to get into those really kind of like scary situations where you're up against stuff. That's like way higher level than you. And I love that they allow you to do that so early on in the game. Cause even in the beginning, when you're going from uh, the first base camp uh, and, and you're like doing the first uh, quest thing where they're like, Hey, just start catching stuff. Just start filling out the Pokedex. And there's like a guy who's preventing you from going over a bridge He's like, you probably shouldn't go over this bridge until you're at least rank one. There are so many other areas that you can still go that are, like, way more terrifying than what's across that bridge right from the (laughs) beginning. Um, So I've just been spending all of my time exploring those areas, and it's been really, really, really satisfying and really rewarding. And if I get to do that over and over and over again in all of these different areas, I'm going to be playing this game for a long, long, long time. And like I said already, I just love hanging out in this world. I mean, it really does feel... We haven't even... Really said this specifically but like it is the thing that is worth saying this is the realization of a thing that i think we've all wanted for a really long time like even though it's not 100 successful at everything at the end of the day like this is the open world pokemon game where the pokemon roam around and like behave the way you think they would behave and you can catch them uh just randomly you can battle them just randomly you can do kind of whatever you want and just exist alongside them like this is the thing that we've all wanted for a really long time um, and I think if this is the blueprint for what's gonna come next then that's great, but at the moment it's so fun already, even yeah. with some of the drawbacks that like I, I I'm gonna play this a lot like a lot a lot a
1: lot <laughs> yeah my my plan was like just to kind of go through the a plot and then once I'm done, kind of circle back and like fill in the gaps there yeah.
0: I think you'll I think you'll want to spend more time filling out the Pokedex if I'm honest because the things you unlock like the new crafting recipes and the new items and stuff that you can use having unlocked new ranks is really really helpful and you also get yeah. new clothes and new hairstyles and things like that
1: yeah I mean I I have been I just haven't like I haven't uh I've been doing a mix of things more than like zeroing in on that yeah but uh one thing that I really love and it's like such a good addition to just like Even if this was a more traditional Pokemon game, this is like how it should be. And it's kind of how it was in Sword and Shield. But like when you level up and your Pokemon learns a new move, it doesn't stop and ask you which one it should forget. You can just go in the menu and choose which four moves you want out of every move it's learned. Whoa, I haven't even tried that. That's amazing. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, like, when they level up, it'll show you, like, new move or move mastered or can evolve. Yeah. So, you elect, like, when do you want this one to evolve? I just, I love that because remembering moves in any gen prior to certain shield <laughs> sucks so badly. You have yeah. to catch a love disc, which may or may not have a heart scale you trade to an old man and then you can remember one move. (laughs) That sucks. Uh, This this is just how it should have been. Um, So I love that. I also love the addition to the battles here is just that whenever a Pokemon masters a move, you can choose to do that move in a strong style or weak style, which is weirdly very similar to Ruin King, where like. You can actually see the turn order in a Pokemon battle. Yes. And if you do strong style, it will make that move more powerful. But it will basically like you won't have a turn until like two turns later. Uh, Alternatively, you can do agile style, which will make it a weaker move. But you'll get in. You'll basically get to do like at least two moves in a row. That little addition is extremely like interesting and it's so simple but so effective and it is the best like deviation on the battles like ever like every game has tried to do like this time it's mega evolutions or gigantamax or z moves and this is like it's there's like zero spectacle but it's so much more interesting than any of those yeah
0: (laughs) it's so interesting how many games have done exactly this recently like it just feels like um it it just feels like a kind of natural evolution for turn-based battling yeah, uh, and, absolutely. And, and I'm glad that it's in Pokemon of all games. Like uh, the last game, I would have expected them to have included something like even just having the turn order by itself visible is shocking for Pokemon. But yeah. to have you fuck with that turn order on a move to move basis is also really, really, really cool. Um, and that's actually, you know, what? how about this? How about we take a break and we come back and we keep talking about this? Because I have a lot more to say. <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. Is that cool? We've been talking yeah. for like an hour already. So I feel like that works for me. we should probably give the listener a fucking break for once. More Arceus in a moment. Yeah. These breaks are for you dear listener. Not us. <laughs> Goodbye. We can keep going. Bye. Steven, we're back with more about Pokémon Legends Arceus. I there's just so much to talk about with this game. I just feel like we we got to take a break at some point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess we'll use this like kind of brief window between segments to share another caveat I I would say alongside all the positives to this game I would say the first like hour is like kind of slow like yes. I agree. You have a conversation with God and then you end up in this new time and place and the professor's like, who are you? Help me. Uh, And you're in like cargo shorts and a t-shirt and everyone's like, who's that fucking weirdo? It's like like, this walk of shame through the, it's a slow, (laughs) like death stranding walk through the village and everyone insults you. Like in passing, they're like, ew, what a gross outfit. Where is he from? Literally up until the minute you like change clothes, I would say like, like you'll be intrigued I think the game is like like I was confident that it was setting up something I would enjoy, but it does take like a little longer than it probably should. Yes. Um, so just a heads up with that.
0: I agree. Well, here's the thing about this is I feel like for people like you and me who have played all these games and have been wanting something this grandiose and this big of a swing for so long, it's almost hard to clock the fact that the opening is kind of slow because you it's so shocking that this is what the game is, especially after the like God talks to you bit, but just even in general, (laughs) just knowing where you're going to get to, just knowing the fact that you're going to go explore this open world finally and, catch pokemon and watch them exist you kind of give it the benefit of the doubt it's like i don't i don't yeah, really exactly. I don't really care how weird this story is or what's going on for the first like hour because like just get me out there just like let me start to do the thing that the game wants me to do which is interesting because like this game clicked for me i would say like maybe two and a half to three hours in which is a little bit late but like for most of that i was just like i am shocked that this is what this video game is and then at <laughs> yeah, a certain yeah. point that wore off and i was like oh I'm, I'm enjoying this, like, thoroughly. Like, I'm really yeah. loving... Like, as soon as I realized, they were like, okay, go, there's a Cleavor that's, like, out there and got struck by lightning and it's evil or something, and, like, you gotta go take care of it. And I was like, what if I went over to this area that had a big Snorlax instead? <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, this game is great. I'm doing everything I love about it. This is kind of what I'm, I guess, getting to, which is, like, I think that this game gets, like, tone and energy right. Like, I think that this game... Being set in the past is almost a brilliant move because I'm imagining another, I think, easier version of this game to have made, which is following the classic beats of a story or, or of a Pokemon story, but told in an open world kind of setting like this. Like, what if it was the thing that you and I talked about with Pokemon Sword and Shield, which was like, tell that story, but the whole thing is a wild area and you actually do have to physically run from point A to point B and, and the whole place is open and the whole place like has the Pokemon running around. You know, you have to run from city to city to battle, all the, you know, to go do all the gym battles and things like that. That I think is weirdly the easier move. That was the kind of like Gimme, I think for this game was that it was going to be a game in which you went from city to city and battle gyms uh, and just like did the classic story that we've all seen just like told in a new kind of gameplay loop or at least in a new like style or genre in a sense to have set this game in the past and be like actually a lot of this game is about just like listening to the fucking wind uh, and like throwing a <laughs> pokeball at a Bidoof like 45 different times is Kind of a more shocking and I think braver thing to have done in a sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good it's a really good mix of everything. I think that like there are noticeably less battles right away because like in, you know, usual games, it's like you battle your rival and then like there's a route full of people who make you battle them and then you get to the new town. But here it's like the battles, again, carry much more weight and they're usually pretty tough. Like, I think that there was one battle where it almost felt like a commentary on how battles usually go because there's this guy who I don't trust. (laughs) <laughs> who was like a traveling merchant who's always like let's see how strong you are yeah and he had two pokemon and i was like, okay classic pokemon battle this like 40 year old man has two pokemon and is baffled that he's beat by a kid who has six um <laughs> uh but one of his pokemon was the first form of garchomp it's a little dragon and yeah. it knows bulldoze and it just like fucked up half my team so like already there's like stakes and it's like it's difficult but not in a way that's like off-putting it's just like asking you to to think a little bit more because i i have to say it, and again these are games largely made for children so like it's a little weird for a 31 year old man to be like it's too easy it's like yeah of course it is <laughs> um but like when you know the, the earlier games i think required a bit more of the player i feel like x and y on up until maybe sword and shield which i think up to a little bit they were like really easy to the point of like kind of reducing any strategy. Like, it didn't really matter who you had. You could just sort of brute force your way through it. Yes. Whereas, like, this game is not only asking more of you in terms of, like, team composition, but it's also... You can't even rely on that. You can't rely on it being super effective, or what? Like you actually have to incorporate the strong style, agile style. You have to incorporate just like in most of my battles, I've expected that like most of my team is going to get burned through, and I have to just like make it work somehow. So yes. I'm like, okay, like my dust stocks is just there to poison them, and then it will probably get killed, and then I have to throw in someone else.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually one of the other big caveats about this game for me is I I feel like it's made specifically for people who have played this franchise for a really long time because a lot of the a lot of the stuff that like kind of is a is a given I think for these games kind of goes unexplored for the first time like I I think a lot of these games generally get lambasted online for things like over explaining or over tutorializing and although there are tutorials and menus and things like that there is a point where uh the your kind of counterpart in the village brings up the idea of type differential or and, and like the type chart in general and like it shows up as like a little tiny thumbnail sized image uh, and then is kind of gone forever. And like, that's the only explanation you have is like the hardcore thing that you find when you Google it uh, and not like an actual detailed explanation, which is kind of wild that that's as much as they really give you in, in the beginning. What is nice is they have one of the more recent Pokemon editions of you can see next to the move, if it's going to be effective or super effective
1: or not effective or yeah, it's a great addition. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think, I think that that's great by itself, but I think some of these like more basic things kind of go unexplored and it kind of creates a game that to me, i I would feel hesitant about giving to somebody as their first Pokemon game. Like, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good first Pokemon game. And it's actually strangely and i i think if they make this change it's gonna be a thing that people won't like but i think is better for the franchise probably i think if they move forward with this as like the base of what pokemon is going to be going forward i feel like making it a little bit more beginner friendly is a better move yeah i agree i want to recommend this game to more people but it's kind of hard i guess is the problem
1: that kind of brought me back to the opening of the time traveler which i initially just thought was silly like i i was like Why can't we just be, like, from this village? Why do we have to be from the future? Yeah. But really, regardless of whether or not your, like, more meta read is going to show up in the plot more, it does assume, again, that the player has a knowledge of Pokemon that is past this settlement. Because the settlement, you know, the game is all about discovery for these characters, but it's about retrospect for the player because Mm -hmm. we kind of already know everything. Yeah. But it's about like kind of filling in that information with experience and not just conceptual ideas. Yeah. So it's like, you already know Badoof, but have you seen Badoof run around a pasture? No. (laughs) Have you felt the weight of a Geodude's punch? No. So it's like, it's really filling in the blanks of the past, like, Quite literally, in a way that is really fascinating. And again, I think that the focus of the game is research. It really, like every Pokemon game, a professor gives a child the Pokedex and is like, can you do my research for me? Yeah. For free. But even at the
0: end of the day, like in those instances, in every other Pokemon game that we've ever played, again, I mean, it kind of gets back to that medium piece, but like, I don't want to read too far in, but you kind of have to in these cases. I don't believe that the Pokedex, the physical thing that you hold, is like a super advanced AI that's capable of understanding everything about a Pokemon. Pokemon just by seeing it once, you know, which means that all this stuff has been written in the past. You know, like I it's, it, I think it's very interesting that like the Pokedex, I think, is more of a rite of passage, I think, for players in the future. Right. Like it's, I think, given to you under the guise of research. But at the end of the day, it's more of just like a thing for you to do. And by doing it, it kind of proves your worth to like the greater society of the Pokemon world. Whereas in this case, none of
1: that research is done and you actually have to do it all yourself. I think it's tight. Every Pokemon game has this like sub- Subtext of like, you won because you love Pokemon and you work with them and you like care more about knowledge than power. But it's yeah. never true. You right. only care about power. You teach yes. a Pangoro power up punch and you destroy your friends yeah. on your way to the gym after you caught God. Uh, <laughs> but here, I think the game is designed around the fact that like you will do those things every other game has said you're doing. Yes. So yeah, I think it's really well done. I'm very impressed. I went in also with pretty low expectations. So like, I'm very happy with where it's kind of met me at. And I also enjoy, I I think you're right that the narrative is more successful. I actually do like the relationship with your kind of rival, where like the other, like the two characters who are on the front of the game, depending on, you know, which character you play as, the other character will sort of be your rival. Yes. I, I think her name's Akari in the instance that I'm playing in, but essentially like, They don't focus on it, but you can tell there's, like, jealousy that you just sort of showed up and got this handed to you. Yeah. Whereas they were working, like, really, really hard. And, like, they know how to roll out of the way of danger. They know how to catch Pokemon. Mm -hmm. But you're disarmed with the knowledge of a 31-year-old man who's played every game. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you can catch Pokemon faster. And everyone's like, whoa! And... She's like, what the fuck? This has been like my whole deal. And you <laughs> literally just fall out of the sky and do this. So I yeah. like like I like that that's not all their relationship is, but I like that that's sort of present. And it's still hitting the narrative beats you expect Pokemon. Oh, not beats, but the vibe, like just the bizarre characters, the cult of time and space, the misfortune sisters. But like, I love that. And it's way more fun and way more intriguing in this game than in other games where I'm just like rolling my eyes. You know, like I think that there's actually like whenever I meet someone, I kind of want to know a little bit more about what's happening, which I think brings us to a conversation we wanted to have where like I do kind of think this game is bound for a twist or two. And I think so, too. Yeah, I feel like the big elephant in the room and we were talking about this before is that the team you work for is called or I don't know if it's team, but. It's, the it, no, it's called the, the galaxy team. Yeah. The galaxy team. The villains in diamond and pearl are team galactic. So I'm wondering like their logos are very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Like very similar. If this is like us being kind of like gaslit into working for the bad guys, or at the very least, if there's some kind of split in leadership at some point, and like they become what Team Galactic eventually is, and everyone else becomes the good guys. Yeah,
0: I think I think there's a lot more to this game narratively than it lets on <laughs> early on, which is a wild thing to say about Pokemon. That like yeah. I that I am uneasy about some of the stuff that's <laughs> happening is actually really cool. Like that's the first time ever that I felt that even playing black and white, which is ostensibly like a game that's supposed to be wrestling with the idea of like, is it okay to have Pokemon battling, et cetera, et cetera. This game is way more successful at that because we're spending so much time Hanging out with them in the wild, seeing them in the wild in in their element, essentially. We're talking to these two factions that are native to this area, who are talking about the fact that they grow up alongside Pokemon and they don't use them in any sense. They're you know their their partners are like willing participants in everything that's happening. And here we are building a village, capturing them, putting them in a pasture, uh, working for who we know to be essentially a villain in the future with the same logo is like. Very, very interesting. On top of all of that, I'm concerned about unsurprisingly but nobody seems to be talking about it as much as they should the giant horrifying rift hanging out above the mountain <laughs> that's shooting lightning down and and zapping all of these Pokemon and giving them like unnatural power seems like something a villainous god would do and not Arceus uh, and I don't want to say much more than that but like it just seems like there are
1: actually interesting narrative ideas coming down the line. There are at least things being set up which yes. is more than any other Pokemon story yes done. usually it's like your mom tells you to go to your neighbor's house and then you catch a rat <laughs> <laughs> so i think that there's there's at least potential here i don't know if i have as much confidence in like it's gonna like nail like a big twist but i think no. that I, I think that we will get answers to some of these interesting questions that are lingering from an early yeah. playthrough i agree yeah. but even even just
0: like outside of plot like specific what is Pokemon Legends Arceus doing from a plot perspective. I think a lot of the filling in the blank moments a lot of the like hanging out in the village has been really interesting and almost more interesting to me than anything else that's going on because like one of the earliest side quests that you get uh, you, you talked about uh there's a there's a security core member who wants a wormpole and you get them a wormpole and that's like cool and fun but specifically i i really loved there's a really early side quest i think it's maybe like the first or second one uh, around the wormpole. there's a woman in the village who is like really interested in starly which is a little bird type pokemon and she if you talk to her she's like pokemon are really scary i'm terrified of them i could never go out and do what you're doing but for some reason when i whenever i see a starly like my heart kind of fills up like i i think that they're really interesting i think they're really cute and i like i like looking at them come back to me when you finish starly's entry in the pokedex so you go out and you go do all the stuff that you have to do to fill out the starly pokedex which is not too much i mean it's like catch one beat one with an electric move and like watch one evolve or something um you like, Starly, I just zapped one. <laughs> so you go do all that, you turn it in, you fill out the Pokedex entry, and then you bring it to her and you show it to her. And she's like, I love this thing. This is really cool. Can you bring one to me? And if, of course, like for me, I caught like 10 at that point. So I brought her one and she immediately was like, I can I keep this? Like, can this be my partner Pokemon? And watching that turn from her from like Pokemon are terrifying to I think I want one. This is like at least in the instance of like a quote unquote, like modern civilized society in the Pokemon world. This is like one of the first instances that you're watching of a person come around the other end and think like, maybe I do want to live alongside this thing. And even when you give it to her, she's like hesitant to even get near it and touch it. And you have this idea of like, oh, yeah, you should like touch its head. And she like actually runs away from it. But it's like, you know, I'll still bring it. And for the rest of the game, she's kind of talking about, you know, how do I feed this thing? How do I take care of this thing? How do I live alongside this? And that's so fucking cool to me. Like that is the kind of stuff i've always wanted out of pokemon and i'm finally getting it and that is wild yeah. to me to finally be getting this and if if
1: i had to guess where the story is gonna go i think as we learn more about the land and about pokemon and about the two native factions i feel like we're gonna end up siding with them or at least there will be because i feel like the leadership of team galaxy is kind of cold and like militaristic yeah and i just wonder if there's going to be like a, a turn at some point where it's like yeah there are people who see pokemon as like Beings and, and colleagues to live alongside, and others who see them as like a weapon or a tool.
0: Yeah, what, what's her name? Cat- Captain Cyrene is is the person who's like giving you orders in the beginning. I mean, she's yeah. essentially throwing you out to die initially. She's like. <laughs> And she literally says like something along the lines of, oh, oh, I'm glad we didn't have to. I'm glad you didn't die out there or something or like, yeah, uh, you know, in your first mission, she's essentially sending you out to I think you have to catch um, what is it, a Bidoof, a Starly and then a Shinx. Yeah. And everybody around you is like, you could die if you go up against a Shinx like you're not ready for this. There's no way that you're ready to go up against the Shinx.
1: It's almost a doomed errand. It's like, OK, it's like a when pigs fly thing. It's yes. like, just you know do this thing that no one has been able to do yet.
0: Yes. it's wild it's really wild I can't I can't believe that this is the game that they've released (laughs) and I'm so glad that it is because it's so bizarre and and as we're saying like even with all these caveats you know the graphics I think it's like too hard for kids like stuff like that I mean you know I I don't think I mean I don't think it's too hard for kids but you know what I mean I I just mean like it's more difficult to just hand to somebody than I think it should be for what is supposed to be like the new version of Pokemon I don't think the music is very good but even with all that stuff like I'm really 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 enjoying the huge swings of they've taken and i'm so excited about whatever is going to come after this
1: yeah the core of it is very strong and i think you can apply this core to like like you if you wanted to like you know i don't know if they're going to remake black or white but if you wanted to just like put this style of pokemon in black and white you could do that like you could have like a urban modern setting with these mechanics it doesn't have to be yeah. like a prehistoric like, you know, older area or at least pre-Pokedex, whatever the metric of time is in Sinnoh.
0: That's kind of the thing is, is I wonder, I wonder if I personally would feel as good about that if that were the shift. Like I said earlier, I think that that was the more obvious move for them to do and to go into the past and have these like really wide open spaces. I think it's like a more bold move, specifically because they're slowing the pace of everything down. They're asking you to just kind of like coexist in this world. And I think that's really really cool and to fit I think a more standard Pokemon narrative into this I wonder if I personally would lose some of that because yeah, one of the true. things about Monster Hunter Rise that I really love that is like a part of the game that they did not focus on just to be clear it's not a thing <laughs> that they even really talk about or whatever but you can just go out on expeditions and you don't have to like specifically go out to hunt a monster and I actually spent a lot of time in Monster Hunter Rise just going out on expeditions to like yeah. gather materials and stuff but specifically you have a camera that you can go and take photos of the monsters with and you can go and like essentially fill out what is the monster hunter rise version of a pokedex with these images that you're taking of these monsters out in the wild and i spent so much time doing that like hours and hours and hours and that feeling that i got with that aspect of monster hunter rise that again is not the focus is not why they want you to play that game is not even probably how they want you to play that game for the most part is literally what pokemon legends arceus is like that's all this game is. Yeah. And I'm I'm amazed that this like really niche version of enjoyment I got out of Monster Hunter Rise is the focus <laughs> is now a triple A future version of what Pokemon is going to be going forward. That's wild to me that something so slow in a sense is something that is
1: now a triple A blockbuster experience. I also wonder if The time travel is them kind of just resetting the timeline so they could actually just like tell new stories from here on out. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, if I had to guess. Because I do think, I don't know how well this game sold, but I imagine it sold well because it's Pokemon. Anything Pokemon's going to do well. Looking at my Twitter timeline, it is the best-selling Pokemon game of all time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if I were to so guess. I, th- I think that this is, was enough of a success in both critical and commercial ways that like they will do another one like this. Yeah, I would wager that they'll probably do kind of what Zelda does, where there's like a mainline Pokemon game yeah. following up the Arceus way. The question for me is, I don't know and necessarily want them to remake Black and White. I even felt hesitant about remaking Diamond and Pearl because like, well, I do really like the Diamond and Pearl remakes. I don't know if if the remake aspect is necessary as much as like just making more games in the classic style is a fun experience yeah so i feel like just having like another game like that in a, in a fresh setting while the main series is like growing i think is a is a good move or better yet just have all the old games on switch like just port, yeah. port crystal and emerald and all of those to switch that, w- that would be my dream but i imagine they will have like a top-down retro pokemon game and then like yeah. legends 2 Badoof's revenge yeah whatever.
0: that that studio that um was created to make brilliant diamond and shining pearl i mean that that seems like the move right like that seems yeah. like that studio exists specifically to continue that lineage of pokemon games while the main team i guess starts making things like legends it's also like forward.
1: square i mean they have like the octopath and and yeah triangle stuff I, I think um
0: uh sega specifically right like with with Uh, judgment and with yakuza right like yakuza like a dragon is this like evolution of that franchise into a more turn-based battle system they've said multiple times like this is what yakuza is going to be going forward but judgment has that very classic yakuza style of combat just kind of like in a new interesting uh story capacity with with this uh with this main character who's like a detective i think that that's kind of a a great like one-to-one example of what's going on here like judgment exists for the old heads of, of yakuza who like want that style of combat forever and Yakuza is this new kind of exploration of what they can tell in that world or what kind of stories they can tell in that world. And, and, and I think that's what's going on here, which is cool. I'm stoked about that.
1: I, th- I think the big thing that could potentially be like a deal breaker with Arceus is that there isn't really like a meaningful multiplayer functionality outside Mm. of like the fine because you know pvp is like a big part of pokemon in certain communities so like i I think that it doesn't really work for what the game is going for here so i i like don't mind that it's not there but i think in the efforts of like what is the purpose of having like a more traditional style pokemon i imagine multiplayer would be the focus of that where it's like we actually have this sort of classic style specifically for multiplayer while the rcs style is like more of the single player mainline experience yeah Oh, man, how cool it'd be, though, to have multiplayer and Legends. That'd be fun. Uh, Yeah, I would love to sneak up on you with my weird crow gunk. (laughs) rock your worlds. yeah i I even just think like
0: going and having a more classic like kind of link cable battle kind of situation like in in the early games when uh you would have to like go to a specific room in the pokemon center to be able to like battle with your friends even that idea just like the two of us like running around in circles around our pokemon battling like just sounds like a really fun time uh i would love to see that in the future i'm so interested in what the next version of this is going to be like is it legends 2 and it also takes place in the past and it's just like a continued exploration of this era of the pokemon world or like are they going to go in that more modern direction like like you're saying i i, I think yeah they, i am open to either
1: yeah i mean i just think this is a really exciting time for the series i think that they they finally did it and i think it's paid off quite literally yeah is there a point in the game where you can have like a pokemon follow you like outside of the pokeball i don't think so but you can just
0: like throw them you can just let them out like around
1: you and hang out with them i'm just daydreaming of crow gunk just like following me around everywhere i go i'm like actually looking at google images of crow gunk right now And there's there's something about the vibe of crow gunk that i like i'm obsessed with
0: you're gonna have to tell me where to get a crow gunk then later
1: yeah, uh, they're near, like, shitty water. It's, like, this gross, like, bogs. Oh, it's in the second area. That's why I haven't seen them yet. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, The second area has a lot of crow gunks and a lot of the Venus Flytrap Pokemon. Nice. Um, And Ghastly, your favorite. So oh. you can catch a Ghastly.
0: Great, Yeah. I've, I think I've mentioned this in the past, but Haunter is my favorite Pokemon. And my second favorite
1: Pokemon is Drifloon. So I'm like
0: living the dream out here. I got a Drifloon. I'm about to get a Haunter.
1: I do like the concrete, like the fact that you can rest and change what time of day it is. Because that was one really weird thing about the Wild Area and Sword and Shield was that like time was broken. So it'd just be like yeah. daytime and snowing. And what it was like either by area, like, it was very confusing. Like, I can never could quite grasp when I was. Yeah. Whereas in this game, it's like, it's very... Like, time will just disp- change as you're around and the pokemon that are available like it really feels like the best evolution no pun intended of the day and night cycle that was introduced in second generation like yeah being able to see ghosts at night is so fun i love yeah
0: that's one of the ways I i feel like this game is constantly surprising me with some of the not even quality of life things but even just like mechanics that they're including that i are kind of going like above and beyond what i'm expecting of game freak which i think says a lot about what i expect of game freak but even the fact that there was a day night cycle at all i was like oh that's cool i'm glad that they like took the time to do that. And then to find out that actually some Pokemon only come out at night was even cooler. You know, like, oh, okay, here's this area with beautiflies, but at night it becomes dust docks. I was like, oh hell yeah, that's sick. Yeah. Like now I really am incentivized to go visit every place at every time of day and see what's up. And when you're in the Pokedex, you can actually see when and where the Pokemon show up. Like it'll tell you the locations and what time of day. And it's not just day or night. It's like specifically morning, afternoon, night, like that. You know, I think there's four. There's four
1: times of day that that they keep track of there are some fun achievements too like there's an achievement in the pokedex for zoo where you catch them during the day So yeah. like you have to like be like at dusk like ready to catch a zoo like as the sun rises yeah it's like killing Dracula like as the sun is coming (laughs) I'm like ah um the other thing too is like they did a good job like making sense of like this kind of goes with what you're saying but like what type of Pokemon would appear where so even without checking the Pokedex and kind of like intuitively look like okay by the water I'm probably gonna find Psyducks and like Mm -hmm. water types because I feel like in the wild area you would just like (laughs) machokes casually walking around it always just looked like just like (laughs) like (laughs) fully grown men just like thinking about their day like (laughs) Uh, I think that the wild area was very successful at like testing an idea that led to this, as we've often said. And I also think that that was the first time you felt other than like outside of like different ROMs and like fan made games. It was the first time you could like, you know, badge one, stumble into a fight against an onyx that was like level 40 so that was really cool but this is like a much more immersive version of that yeah absolutely yeah it 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 feels like it's so
0: funny to me because when sword and shield came out we said that a lot about the wild area was like it does feel like the next game is just going to be this and that'll be really cool it's so funny to me how immediately that came like for a company like game freak that is so like kind of hanging back and and letting iteration kind of take the lead instead of like actual i would say like Leaps in design to go from something like the wild area to this is by itself a huge leap because even comparing those two is like night and day in a sense. And I, I
1: would wager, based on how good the loop is here and how this is like precedented, like even the wild area didn't really prep them to make this as well as it feels. Yeah, I imagine there were a lot of people at Game Freak that had been wanting to do this for decades. Like, I feel sure. like I'm sure. I yeah. feel like there were a lot like because other than Pokemon, every Game Freak game is is bizarre in a good way. Like play <laughs> Pocket Card Jockey or, or, or Drill Dozer and you'll know what I mean. They are like really creative, really weird, going for really cool ideas. But again, because Pokemon is this like lifeblood of Nintendo and of Game Freak, it's like it's it's almost like out of their control, ironically. Like when yeah. something becomes... it's It happens to a lot of franchises that get this big. I think Star Wars is another example of like, mm. you know, there, there's so many expectations of what it should be and what it could be that it's almost paralyzing for the creator to be like, I, I, I guess I'll try to appease everyone or I'll try to do right. what I want, but then everyone will get mad at me. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm really, really happy this has done so well. And it's really like... Breath of the Wild is the kind of game that A, comes very rarely, and B, is is this simultaneous lightning striking of wildly different and also wildly successful, and it feels like just a masterpiece immediately. This feels like, again, it's like, oh my god, this is such a great like idea and it's so fun to do but again it feels like the blueprint of what's next and it's still very enjoyable but it does feel like the blueprint but either way but
0: i think you're right to say that yeah they have the loop down right like the fact that i am spending so much time just exploring (laughs) and catching stuff and like filling out the pokedex instead of doing the mainline story means that they've like really hit like remove the like pokemon in general but like the actual just like game game is really 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 fun so for the next entry like all i've really want is for them to just sand off some of the other stuff you know like spend more time making sure that the art style feels more cohesive than it does at times make sure you know add fucking voice acting like for some reason the lack of voice acting is really throwing me off in this game like
1: yeah the the big thing for me with the with the graphics obviously like the presentation is uneven but for me the bigger thing is that it's not as creative as i want it to be yeah i feel like the locations in a game like emeralds like every town is like the village is very charming but like yeah. outside it feels like kind of like GameCube's attempt at Shadow of the Colossus. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's not like the ashy village by the volcano or the like yeah, yeah. the treetop houses. Like I feel like what I would want to see in the next game and again that's a big ask because I think it's like when a show's first season is like six episodes they just want to see if people like it. Yeah. That's what this is. Yeah, But in the next one I would want to see like apply the creativity that you gave to settings honestly like Sun and Moon which I would say is my least favorite of the mainline series. Mm. But that's setting was so beautiful and was so cool and the the sort of hawaiian inspired pokemon and the culture around pokemon like i would love to see more of that in a a legend style game yeah i
0: i I totally agree and that's yeah that's kind of what i mean it's just like at the end of the day so much of this game succeeds that the stuff that you need to actually like work at is is kind of obvious it's like really really like kind of surface level obvious stuff that would need to get fixed to make like actually the perfect version of this
1: yeah like make one of the starters crow gunk and get rid of the other <laughs>
0: two make the player crow gunk make all the pokemon crow gunk uh
1: village of crow gunk and and we're good. We're golden there's a picture i just found of crow gunk just like (laughs) sitting in a like beach tube just like chilling and it's great
0: steven i've taken like i would say anywhere between 50 to 100 screenshots of this game in anticipation of using like a really like lovely image from the game as the (laughs) episode art for this and now i can't because it just has to be crow gunk and i find that really upsetting
1: yeah well you know you go you pay for (laughs) <laughs> Which is sixty dollars. Toxicroak is also cool, but again, sometimes you just hit gold first, and that's where gold is. Yeah. So here's a question for you. Yeah. We're an hour and a half into
0: this. Do you want to uh, talk about another video game, or should we wrap it up? I would like to talk about another video game, if you don't mind. Unless you want to wrap up. Yeah. Let's let's do that then. Okay. Um, AJ, leave all of that in. I want I want that conversation to be part of the episode, and this too. I
1: want more.
0: Yeah. I just I want I want everybody to hear. What happens behind the curtain? Uh, that said, we are going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about another video game that's not Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is a game that I love. Eighty-five
1: point six out of a hundred. <laughs> I would I would strongly recommend it. Uh, if anything we said appeals to you, if you were a longtime fan of the series, I think you're going to have a great time. I hope Litwick is also in it because I love that handle <laughs> Ghost. If you but like, it seems out of place collecting
0: uh, herbs and taking pictures of uh, velocidrones in Monster Hunter Rise.
1: You're going to love this game. One last thing. I love the color palette of the old Pokeball. The like oh, yeah. kind of beige where the white used to be. It's really beautiful. And, and I love really like good. how kind of mechanical it is and the little firework that goes off. I love I love the color palette of this game. I
0: I, I think I think this we can't keep going. I just think it's really pretty. <laughs> Even though the graphics are like
1: not great. I do think like the world is really pleasing. The sky is really pretty. And the sky the, is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think they have it in them. Like, they, there's good art direction. It just, I think they just didn't have as much time as they probably needed. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, Crowagunk. Bye, Crowagunk. Blah, blah, blah. Just like waving, <laughs> covered in mud. Yeah. He doesn't even say his name. Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> he looks so chill. I don't think he would scream like that. we got to move on. Yes. See you soon. Brendan, you and I have also both played another game somehow kind of wild pokemon legends arceus was like known for a while to be coming out in january it's it's the first i would say major kind of mainstream release yeah and we're both big fans so like we were kind of prepared for this to take the whole episode but we played another game that i actually also really enjoy that i'd love to talk about that came out it was march of 2021
0: on pc and then december on consoles except switch and then the same
1: day as legends Arceus on switch (laughs) so maybe a little bit out of the spotlight but you guessed it it's record of lotus war deed lit in wonder labyrinth a title that looked at dragon quest XI and said (laughs) go fuck yourself i got this
0: I did see, I, um, I, I think it's the Fire Escape podcast. They they had a category for their Game of the Year episode that was worst video game title. And uh, this was in the running. I forget what won. I forget if this won, but it was in the running, which I agree with.
1: Yeah, so the thing about, I didn't realize this until like a couple days ago. Record of Lotus War is like a long running franchise as well. Yes, it's been around since the 80s. Yeah, I think it's based on the creators D&D campaign. So it's like... I guess in that way, kind of like anime critical role in a sense for like, <laughs> that's tight. Yeah. I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but I know that there's like D and D influence. You can feel that in, in this. You can game, really feel it. Yeah. There's like an anime. There's a lot of media about record of Lotus war. So, this game, Deedlit in Wonder Labyrinth, you guessed it, is starring Deedlit, who, yes, is a character, not a phrase, which I thought it was. I also um, thought that yeah.
0: I, I was going to have, like, the deed to the Wonder Labyrinth and it was yeah. going to be glowing.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> like, we're I, just, we are Deedlit. <laughs> we are Deedlit. Yeah. Who is an elf, like, mage, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I don't really know, like, the story here, I'm not like super invested in. And so far I'm like a few hours in and the story has mostly been characters saying each other's names and then like leaving. So yeah, Deedlet knows everybody
0: she runs into in the Wonder Labyrinth, which I think yeah. is very interesting.
1: And it's either excited or like, oh shit, it's Abram. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this game is a, I guess you could say Metroidvania if you want to keep using that genre. But I would say it is capitalized Castlevania in that equation. Yeah. It is very much going for an Aria of Sorrow, Symphony of the Night type experience, pretty head on. And I would say it's kind of similar to um, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which was a game by the creator of Aria of Sorrow, who like kickstarted a game that was like, I want to do more of this type of thing. Mm -hmm. It works for me because the homage is so clear, you know, and I think... I'm really, really enjoying this game. I'd heard of it. I heard the Discord say nice things about it. And it came to Game Pass. I was like, yeah, why not? I, I, I could use another game to bring up to the show. Yeah. And uh, I like couldn't really put it down pretty immediately. I would say the way this game separates itself One, the presentation is really lovely and the animation of attacks is like really fluid in a way that I don't normally see. Like usually in the Castlevania games like this or even Bloodstained, the attacks look either a very quick like side swipe or like kind of a semicircle and they haven't really strayed from that. And this is similar, but like you see Deedlit like swing in like multiple directions Mm -hmm. and like overall, I would say the game just plays really, really well. Like the act of just getting around and of fighting feels better than a lot of games in this genre, like pretty immediately, even before you get a lot of powers. I'll say this because
0: I have said on this podcast many times that of the Castlevania genre or sorry, of the Metroidvania genre, I very infrequently enjoy the vania side of it. I am very much more a Metroid person, with the sole exception of Hollow Knight, which I feel like is almost like like a soul's vania, not to say something sure, even shittier. Right. Uh, but like <laughs>
1: There's a lot of influence. Yes.
0: Hollow Knight has a lot of influence from the genre, but is kind of like wholly its own thing because it's pulling from so much. Anyway, generally speaking, I have not enjoyed any Castlevania game I have played ever. I always try and get into them because I love Metroid so much and I tend to like the genre that I feel like Castlevania should be for me. And every time I try and play one, I never get very far. I always bounce off. There's always something about it that I don't enjoy. Record of Lodos Wart hyphen deed lit in wonder labyrinth is the best castlevania game i've ever played like easily I am like head over heels in love with this game I think it's fucking great it feels so good to play it does feel to me like what I have always wanted Castlevania to feel like and I think you absolutely nailed it that for some reason it's so wild to me that it really is as simple as like these animations are so beautiful and the fact that I am not just like going into
1: Dracula's castle again is like all I really needed even just the D I did recently fight a mummy so there's definitely Castlevania going on in there but like it feels more high fantasy which is like already a bit enough change that it's like kind of its own thing. Yes. So there's that side of it and then
0: on the other side I find that mechanically the game is really interesting. Like and and not not overly complex because a lot of times I'll go and play the games like Symphony of the Night or Aria of Sorrow, which are these games that are Generally speaking, lauded as like these are the best Castlevania games. Yeah. And every time I'll start playing them and get just like completely, utterly lost in both the castle and the menu system with all the stats and all the powers you can get and all the different weapons that you get and all the shit that just feels like it's overburdening this game that I just want, like, I just want to run around and explore and whack shit with my sword or my whip or whatever. But instead, I have to manage all these spirits, I have to manage all these weapons, et cetera, et cetera. Deedlit in Wonder Labyrinth streamlines all of it. Like, really- really really well I, I i think so it's worth mentioning right towards the beginning you get essentially two spirits one it's like a spirit of wind and a spirit of fire uh and you have like a sword and you just run around and you switch between these two spirits by pressing uh, the r button like the the right shoulder button and some enemies are weak to fire some enemies are weak to wind and like that's really all you have to deal with for a while in the game and that by itself was like Great. I've learned how to do this. I feel very comfortable doing this. Oh, now we've added a bow and arrow. Cool. And that's a that's totally different face button. So I'm pressing B to use my sword. And now I'm pressing uh, I forget what other button it is, but you're pressing another button to use the arrow. The arrow is used, you know, sometimes for combat, but mainly used for puzzle solving, which is fun, where you're like bouncing the arrow off of metal surfaces to try and like cut ropes that will allow you to get to new places. And that I find really fun to like stop the action for a little bit so I can sit there and kind of like look at some metal surfaces all over this level and try and figure out how I'm supposed to bounce an arrow from point A to point B is really fun. Eventually you get magic but all this stuff is spaced out in, in a wide enough way where I feel comfortable with my tool set before they give me something new. Whereas something like Aria of Sorrow or Symphony of the Night which is like bombarding you with mechanics immediately and just asking you to learn how to use them very quickly or it ignore them at your own peril until eventually they're the reason you die because you didn't get to spend the time (laughs) to do it, which I know that that's kind of a dissenting take. I know that not a lot of people feel that way about those games, but that's how I frequently feel playing those games because I'm used to something like Metroid, which generally speaking has a very wide berth between getting new power ups. And that's what this game is doing for me. This game is bringing me that side of Metroid progression blended with the art direction and stylings of something like a Castlevania. And I think that that's really exciting.
1: It's, It's interesting because prior to doing this show, I only had played Castlevania, primarily *Aria of Sorrow*. That was my yeah. That was my entry point into the genre, I guess. And I was actually really shocked that when we did the Game Boy Advance episode, I also was like Metroided. But I was like, it, it switched for me. Yeah, man. It's like playing Zero Mission and Fusion. And like Aria of Sorrow, I, I I, would say is a great game. Like, you know, choosing 10 of that library is impossible. I think it was like 11 for me. So it was, it was mm-hmm. very close. But for me, I love Aria of Sorrow's open design where they're just like, you can go fucking anywhere in the castle and like every playthrough will be kind of different because whenever you kill an enemy, you get that power. Yeah. The thing that held Aria of Sorrow back for me from being like one of the best was that the, the act of combat wasn't that fun. Like the, the sort of mechanical fighting and exploring wasn't really that fun to do. And that's largely what the whole game is. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think more credit of just how the genre has evolved. You have games like Ori that are like, What if not only moving around was fun, but that was like the focus? Like, what if platforming was the focus of a Metroidvania? Hollow Knight is like, what if we focused on combat and a little bit of platforming, but primarily was focused on combat and environmental storytelling? Yeah. And Deedlit and Wonder Labyrinth is like, there's a lot of cool systems in castlevania but what if we like kind of got out of our own way and and made it like super arcadey and level based where like mm-hmm. you have this map that you're slowly uncovering but there's like a corny announcer who's like stage two level three and like yeah. i like that almost golden axe approach to it where they're really like we know what about this game works and so we're gonna really focus on that the bosses are really fun and like yeah. that's where the presentation kind of really flex itself and the mechanic of switching between elements kind of becomes the focus of the game. I actually streamed a little bit of me playing this game the other day. It will probably be on our YouTube by the time this episode comes out. But you fight this big like dragon initially or this like Leviathan creature Yeah, who he has this breath attack that at first glance you can't avoid. And it's like do I have to rush in? Do I just have to like take that hit? And then by accident I just saw that if I had the color like he's breathing orange and blue. So I should have known right way mm-hmm. but if i have fire equipped and he breathes orange i just absorb that magic and it doesn't yes. affect me at all so that boss is teaching you like hey you can like absorb certain colored hits and like strategize around that and then the next boss is like that kind of one-ups where there are two like spirits. One's a fire spirit, one's a nice spirit. So, like, the game is does a great job of, like, teaching you what it expects of you, and that combined with the slow acquisition of powers makes it not overwhelming at all, even though what they're asking of you is fairly complex. But it, right. it feels like... Like you constantly feel powerful, which I like. And just the abilities you get right away, like you get double jump right away, which I love. (laughs) And and when you have the air spirit equipped, which is the first thing you get, you can kind of like glide around on like bursts of air, which like it's really cool. It it just immediately makes exploring fun in a way that it often isn't even in some early Metroid. Like, you know, before you get certain powers, it could be a bit of like a it's not the focus of the game, whereas here they're like fighting and exploring are constantly fun. Yeah. Yeah. that that is the folly of most metroid games is that it feels shitty
0: to run around in those worlds for usually between six to ten hours um and it's (laughs) actually i think that the the biggest criticism i'd levy against hollow knight which is probably my favorite game of all time but i i feel that way about hollow knight I, i would say for about three ish hours of that game moving around the world doesn't feel as good as it should and i i enjoy that more recent additions into the genre like ori and like this for example just like put the focus on making locomotion like really good like really strong immediately so it doesn't feel bad because feeling good moving around a world shouldn't be your reward for playing a game for multiple hours like that's (laughs) that feels like bad game design to
1: me and i kind of get it with hollow knight because hollow knight's going for that dark Souls, like you're just a bug in this awful world so like it does add to the story it's supposed to be a relief when you get those powers in hollow knight but it's a delicate balance and i think with Deedlit, you know you're supposed to be this like I imagine for fans of the series, they like know who she is and know that she's a powerful mage. So like yeah. it makes sense that she just rules immediately. <laughs> so I, I, I'm like really shocked. Again, I, I don't want to be negative on the story, but so far it's just sort of been there. It hasn't gotten in the way, so I don't really care either way. Yeah. But it's it's not really the focus. The focus for me is just like how fun it is to play. So I would highly recommend it. It's on Game Pass. I saw that there's like an X and S on the game, which means that they have like optimized it in some way for Xbox. So it's there on Game Pass if you want to check it out. It's also on Switch. That's where I've been playing it. And it sounds like it's it's been running fine for you on that. Yeah, it's
0: been running fine. I, I actually do have a question for you about performance. There are two instances in which I've noticed like really pretty brutal slowdown on the game on switch and i don't i actually think that it was intentional i think that it's actually a part of the game so there's a moment when uh you see like a little lake with some fish in it and the game slowed to like a crawl in that moment and i think it was to teach me you know because like there's a pop-up that tells you like hey you can't swim for very long you need to use your air power to like get over this lake and then in repeated visits to that area it doesn't slow down anymore it was just in that first time and i feel like the game was like slowing down on purpose to teach me that and i'm not sure if that's true or not did you have that same feeling i don't remember that happening so it might have been a switch thing. that's interesting <laughs> but either okay. way may- maybe it was i don't know it's just weird to me that that would happen in that instance and not in like the boss battle you know like if sure. there's too much stuff happening on screen in this like fish lake but not in <laughs> The boss battle against a dragon that's shooting all these different elements at me and is, like, in the background, in the foreground, like, doing all this wild stuff. Then I wonder if that was intentional. There's another moment, too. Oh, it's when you see, like, the big hunk of meat hanging from a chain that you can just, like, hit to fill up your meters. You know what
1: I'm talking about? Yeah. The yeah, first yeah, yeah.
0: time I went into that room, it was really slow and it hasn't been since.
1: Huh. Yeah. I wonder. I don't quite remember, but that that could have happened and I just forgot. Yeah. But either way, it sounds like there aren't any like serious issues on switch. So.
0: Yeah. Those are the only two instances in which I've had slow down and both of them were moments where like it was actually helpful to have been slow, weirdly. Right.
1: <laughs> um, so I don't know. Very confusing. That's the other thing, too. So your two elements, at least so far we have fire and, and air. Yeah. whenever you attack a certain enemy or you attack that weird carcass that gives you magic it will go from one to three and whenever you get hit it goes down a level but if it's at three your health will slowly replenish when you have that spell equipped. What yeah. I really love is that when you gain those magic points you gain it for the spell you don't have equipped. So it's kind of always encouraging you switching and yeah. that like I love that. That is a pretty unique mechanic in the genre. Like I haven't seen a lot of games like rely on like switching forms like at least that quickly uh, and and that kind of focus on elemental power in general yeah
0: the, o- the only other game that i would um say kind of feels that way a little bit is ender lilies which is a game i unfortunately didn't like very much but it, yeah. it did have a really strong emphasis on changing forms in that sense um but unfortunately, just like didn't hook me
1: at all. At least in the way that Record of Lodos War, Deedlit, and Wonder Labyrinth did. Yeah. yeah, it's a. I'm I'm really pleasantly surprised. I didn't think I would dislike it, but I, you know, again, this we've had a lot of conversations about how oversaturated this type of game is, and like we, it's it's a weird thing to articulate because you and I both take the stance of like, never, never don't do something because it's popular. Right. You know? yeah, like yeah. we wouldn't have done this show if that was the case. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, uh, like don't ever feel like, oh, too many people are doing that because just by nature of you creating something, it's going to be different. Right. That being said, I do think it's worth recognizing how Oversaturated that genre is, and be like, okay, what it like not to find a gimmick, but it's like, what is the thing we are focusing on? And even outside of the elemental stuff, I think the thing that you and I both said is as simple as like they focus on making combat feel good, which isn't something a lot of these games do for some reason. (laughs) So, like, that is great. And again, that's another thing about, um, that's a newer thing, like with Metroid Dread, the whole focus on the parry system and like how fun that is. Mm -hmm. Whereas in older Metroid games, it's kind of like old Zelda's where like attacking is just sort of something you do, yeah, it's not something that you really enjoy it's just an action to progress
0: yeah absolutely
1: so I'm very happy with this game
0: it's a good game I think I think the best thing I could say about this game or like the highest praise I can give it is that I have played multiple hours of it even though Pokemon Legends Arceus is also on my <laughs> Nintendo Switch I think there's something to be said for the fact that it snowed like two feet in Brooklyn the other day yeah. so I don't really have too many options except to stay inside and play video games but the fact that I downloaded this game because I, w- I was interested in playing it because I'd heard good things about it like you said from the discord but the fact that I downloaded this game and like sat down to play it like like maybe to talk about it in next week's episode and ended up playing it long enough to feel comfortable bringing it up for this episode, I think says a lot about its quality. So if you have Game Pass, it's kind of a no brainer. Check it out. Yeah. Um, if you're a little bit more on edge, I would say like maybe watch uh, Steven's video of it, which is on YouTube uh, and check it out and see if it's right for you and pick it up on Switch because I think it's great or on PC. But uh, either way, I, I, I'm enjoying it way more than I thought. Yeah, and I
1: think you're right. So, I mean, because it's so much more focused on the Castlevania part, and you haven't enjoyed that genre, I do think that a lot of the games that have sought to emulate Castlevania have focused more on nostalgia than on. Innovation, Yeah. So this is like, a, even though like this game is like very proudly a video game, mm. like whenever you attack an enemy and also the D and D influence with the series, whenever you attack an enemy, you see like dice appear on the screen yeah, that show you like what they're resistant to. And then when you go to the next stage, like a dice rolls on the screen awesome. and it lands on a two. So like, I love that stuff. I love that. It's like, this is based on D and D it's extremely a video game. We know we're, literally stealing the castlevania walk but like we're gonna do it so well that you're just gonna get swept up in it yeah um, and, it, and it feels surprisingly fresh for how kind of purposely retro it is yeah so pff,
0: fucking get it man get deedlet <laughs> yeah uh it's good um yeah. wow i'm a
1: big i'm a big record head these days <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> sorry nice try nice try i mean any pick any word in that title it's gonna sound bad i'm a deedlit head <laughs> I'm a Wonderhead. <laughs>
0: okay, wait a second.
1: Wonderhead is actually maybe the best. I do like Record, Wonderhead a lot. Recordhead is like no, 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 not vinyl. Sorry, you must have got me confused with someone else. <laughs> yeah, you've heard of Radiohead. Now get ready for Recordhead. Recordhead. <laughs> is the title just going to be Recordhead with like crow gunk with like headphones oh, on? <laughs> God, yeah, just like a horrible homunculus of every bit from the episode. <laughs> Whoops.
0: Cool. Well, it's also worth mentioning that by the time this episode is out, that the Chrono Trigger bonus will also be out. Yeah. That episode was really fun. That was really fun. Yeah. And I think I really enjoyed finishing that game and then immediately like feeling the weight of Chrono Trigger lift off of me. Not that it was like, not that I wasn't enjoying it. And as you'll hear, like, I think that that's one of the best games I've played in my life. But like, yeah, it was really wonderful to be like, oh, my God, now that I'm done with Chrono Trigger, I can just like give myself fully to Pokemon Legends Arceus and, and other stuff. Um, So this has been a really fun week in general for the oh, podcast, yeah. I think, because like such a such a rewarding experience playing Chrono Trigger and also playing like I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere alongside yeah. like that whole experience was really great to start the year as I was kind of hoping it would be I was putting like a lot of stock in the fact that I was hoping that I would
1: find all of that enjoyable and I really did it feels like a lot of the regular episodes are kind of in orbit of the bonus this yes month, you yes know? and it's nice to kind of have like a lead up like that we yeah. also haven't done a. I mean we did you know we decided to not do a bonus in December because we had game of the year and we found that like when we do bonuses in December as well they kind of like get like that gets overshadowed by game of the year so it's yeah. like to kind of give us a break it's like that's going to be the big event of the month right so it's nice to like do a bonus again and to have it be a game that means so much to me and now to both of us it kind of uh we're, we, were, we were both like what do we do in february now like <laughs> ducktales i don't know yeah um, it's it's tough it's i
0: still i'm still not totally
1: sure what to do honestly yeah uh, we'll find out but um it was it w- i think we're both really proud of that episode and i'm excited to share it with you i hope you enjoy it yeah it's a long one whoops but now but now that we're past
0: chrono trigger and like this month of january which is ending with arceus which i think is really wonderful in a sense like we are now in like big 2022 video game release month because which
1: is wild next month we're-, we're
0: getting elden ring we're getting horizon forbidden west um there's a bunch of other stuff coming out in between there as well which is wild
1: i'm excited but i kind of want a weird season to get a couple more weeks it feels like AAA games like no 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 cover new events baby yeah uh, i think everybody just saw the success of hitman 3
0: last year in january and was like oh wow hitman 3 had january february and march to just like like, steal the spotlight until other stuff started coming out.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm really excited for Elden Ring. You and I aren't, like, we like Horizon, but it's not, like, a, a huge deal for us, but I'm very curious about the sequel, especially because, you know, it's coming out in a time where that genre has evolved so much. I'm, like, curious what it will do now. Yes, I have I've seen some very
0: cheeky tweets from press who have gotten their hands on the game early that seem to imply that it is, like, absolutely a slam dunk. Um, yeah. which I think is exciting and also I don't know if we have mentioned this on the show but it's probably worth mentioning that uh, AJ is going to be on that episode because AJ is a huge fan of Horizon um, yeah. so even if Steven and I are like more cold on it we'll at least have AJ's take which I'm excited about.
1: Yeah I'm really excited to hear them talk about and just gush about that game. because yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn I think really the biggest thing was that I got that on sale at the same time as Nier Automata and like oh, that's fucked my, up, yeah. my, my brain and heart just went in one direction. Yeah, I only had time for one robot thing at that, by that <laughs> (laughs) that point in my life and
0: i and i had i I think a lot of people's trouble with horizon zero dawn which was that i got it like the week before the nintendo switch came out and
1: And breath of the breath of the wild
0: (laughs) which is like pretty rough there's another game that's that i'm interested in that's coming out next month um that you and i have played a little bit of the demo of which is monarch which is um, the game by a bunch of like X, Atlas and uh, specifically like SMT and Persona developers who have like made their own studio and are publishing their own thing uh, that is like very clearly inspired by both of those seems to be almost like more of a literal blend of SMT and Persona, which is kind of wild because both of those games are trying to do very different things, I think, mechanically and even from a narrative perspective. And this is very much like, no, 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 like smash them together. We're we're just going to do it.
1: Um, Yeah. Persona is like the kids that used to be goths, but are now like major celebrities and then smt is like the the jealous goth kids like come on used to be cool
0: yeah and now it's you're getting both yeah Mo- monarch is very much like j- just a fusion of the two of them um so that that's coming out around the same time which is kind of brutal from a release schedule perspective <laughs> as uh as uh, horizon and elden ring i think it's the same week as elden ring oh um, boy but uh i i wasn't a huge fan of the demo but as i've learned from lost Sphere i i think i want to kind of hold my breath a little bit and see how people feel about it when it comes out. Like I'm interested in how the like persona and SMT
1: fandoms uh, feel about that game when it drops. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious, especially now that I'm like a fan of both after five uh, or SMT five. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, there's a lot. And then March is project triangle, right? Yeah. That's like the first week of March. Yeah. Oh. I just have a feeling about that one. It's going to be a big deal.
0: Yeah, for us at least. I feel very strongly about that. That to me feels the most like Pokemon Sword and Shield in a sense. (laughs) Yes, exactly. In that every tweet about that game is like completely shatters my preconceptions. Unhinged. Yeah, Yeah, like my my brain just like falls into tiny little globulous pieces every time they tweet anything new.
1: That demo was great, and I think that there's a lot of really cool things happening. But yeah, the yeah. story seems wild, and yeah. like I loved that demo. That demo was really cool. I played it twice at this point. I like I really liked it. Is it still available? Yeah. I, if you haven't played that demo and you're a fan of Final Fantasy Tactics or like that kind of genre of like old school, uh, yeah, just Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, you'll you'll really enjoy it. It seems at the very least mechanically really really solid, and the presentation yeah. is great. So. The story is very melodramatic in a way that could either really work or really not. Uh, But I'm kind of like if there's enough there mechanically, uh, even even there's another mechanic too where like you have to make a big decision, but you can't choose. You just have to sway others. Yeah. So when there's a vote, you can have a higher chance of like what you want to do happening. But no matter like whoever wins the vote, like you have to do that decision, which is a really fascinating way of like. choice based story yeah the fact that it's like kind of out of your control almost is very interesting yeah like you can try your best but you won't always succeed uh yeah is really really interesting yeah imagine mass effect if you had to convince the crew sometimes you do but like yeah you had to rely on like the ship's vote yeah (laughs) um what i i think what i'm most interested about that game is
0: uh you and i played octopath traveler which is yes the, the first like game of this style by that team um, and I think both you and I felt that the story wasn't really strong enough to pull us through, um, right. unfortunately, because like those characters are so great, but seeing them not interact was kind of a bummer. Yeah. And like, there was
1: missing, there were big missing pieces of an otherwise really great game. Yeah. Um.
0: So seeing them. Uh, create a game that is more focused on the interplay between those characters I think is going to be really fun but also the story is so wild already just from the outset that I feel like even if it's bad it might be bad in like a camp sense which will will end up coming out the other end and being incredible and you and I are going to like absolutely lose our minds about it so I feel like it'll either be Good and better than Octopat Traveler, which is putting it in a good position, or it'll be so bad it's camp, which also puts it in a great position for I us. mean,
1: there was that scene where I recruited a druid who made it rain, and then the guy said, like, well, slap my naked ass. <laughs> uh, so, like, I'm already a fan of the dialogue. Uh, yeah. There's a guy named Gustadolf in it. Gustadolf is the villain. Everyone's like, oh no, it's Gustadolf. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway. So a lot of games on the horizon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for the next like two months. I think it's going to be really fun. Cool. Well, look, uh, you and I have another podcast to record today. uh, That's right. We shouldn't say what it is, but fun little tease. Uh, (gasps) So I guess we should uh, go take a break. Before that happens, but uh, for you, dear listener, that means it's the end of this episode. Just want to say thanks so much, everybody who is listening to the show, everybody who's sharing the show, Uh, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. A lot of you have been doing that and tweeting about it. We've been getting like, I feel like we say this every week, but I do want to Make it very clear that we do mean it every week. Like we really do feel it. Like it really is cool to see more people sharing
1: the show every week than the week before. I looked at the data and this month has been our tide for highest with last September where yeah. we got like a really like for not to like reveal too much, but like we got featured in that really lovely um, Game Boy Advance article by Anna Diaz and Polygon. And that, like, really gave us a gigantic boost. I mean, you you probably know if you're in the Discord, so many of you, when you join, have said, like, oh, I found this show from that article. From that article, yeah. There are often moments like that that will kind of give us a big boost, and we've received that, and this month has also been very good for us. So, you know, the audience is growing, which is always a lovely thing.
0: Yeah. I I think as we've said many times, like even if only 15 people downloaded the show every week, we'd still be doing it just because we like making it. Of course. Yeah. Um, But it is cool to see it resonating with so many people uh, on a week by week basis.
1: Yeah, exactly right. The fact that it's a positive part of anyone else's life means a lot to us. So thank you so much. Absolutely.
0: So, um, yeah, so you can you can share it with a friend Um, if you want to rate us on Apple Podcasts. That'd be cool Uh, out of five. Also, you can rate us on Spotify if you want. Yes.
1: Many of you have done that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that.
0: Uh, We also have a Discord that you can join. Um, We have like a Twitter and an Instagram and a Twitch and a YouTube. The links to all of that stuff uh, can be found at intothecast.online. We also have a Patreon. The link can be found there, but it's also patreon.com slash intothecast. If backing the show in any way impacts you financially, uh, please do not back the show. Do not worry about it. It's totally cool. But thank you to everybody who's doing that. We have a lot of stuff on the horizon, as we've mentioned every week. For the Patreon, we have a bunch of ideas that uh, are going to be exciting cool so uh probably worth backing the patreon if you want to hear some cool stuff uh that'll be revealed
1: soon and you'll get access to the entire backlog as well i'm i'm in the process of recording the next Patreon episode in the in the coming weeks which Which i'm not going to be involved in that's right i'm not even in it new friends new voices and also can i tease one can i reveal one you want to reveal one yeah or is it too soon up to you You're you're the you're the person doing it. I'll I'll keep it a secret. There's one that I have planned for the early spring, so probably like March, that will be fun. So there's there's a lot of stuff on the horizon. We are also in the process of like constantly accepting feedback about the Patreon, like what people want to see, how to utilize the space, how to make it more consistent. We realize that it's been kind of inconsistent since we've had it. So like we do really like we always want to be candid with like what we're able to create, because we both work full time. We have other projects as well. So like we don't want to burn ourselves out, but we also want to make that an active space and we yeah. want to give back to people who support the show because that helps us move towards a reality where we can do this full time, which I think we both want in the long run. Yeah. Um So yeah. So that's, that's the Patreon. Uh, and thank you for those who are able to back it.
0: Yeah. Super helpful.
1: Cool. What else? Is there anything else? I don't think so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else. Goodbye. <laughs> um. I guess, I guess very quickly uh, some stuff. Or like really, really quickly. But um, I just started playing Radiant Historia last night at like one thirty oh, in the nice. morning when I got back from a podcast recording, a live show that I was at. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I think that that's going to be I think that's going to be a big one um, in anticipation of our Nintendo DS episode. Uh, so expect to hear about Radiant Historia at some point soon.
1: Yeah, for me, it's a pretty blank canvas. I definitely want to play more of Arceus and Lodos War for yeah. sure yeah i'm gonna play a lot of those over the next week or so yeah and yeah so you'll you'll hear about it i definitely am very i think the next big release that i'm like pumped for is elden ring which is like a freezing take uh because <laughs> that's just i'll be honest i haven't really like been involved in like the hype campaign for that game like until recently i've kind of just like treated it as an abstract idea because it was so it was like the joke of like what about Elden Ring for so long? Like Kingdom Hearts 3, I 7 remake. So mm-hmm. I just treated it like that until it was actually coming out. Now That's a
0: little I'm bit sorry. how I felt about Arceus, honestly, too. Yeah, was like yeah. I, similar, yes. I saw, I saw the release trailer um i watched the nintendo direct that was focused on it but outside of that i've been like really trying to not see anything about it to just kind of like give myself a completely like in the dark take like i just wanted to kind of like form my own opinion about it uh removed from everything else i read like two reviews when reviews dropped but that was kind of it um and i'm doing the exact same thing with Elden ring i watched the trailer i watched about five minutes of a 50 minute gameplay video that was on youtube at one point i think on Gamespot, and uh that's as much as i've given myself i'm just like oh yes actually this is the thing i wanted to be so I'm just gonna kind of let myself enjoy it for what it is when it drops so that's exciting. Exactly anyway, right. my name is Brandon Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brandon Bigley. We've tried wrapping up this show
1: so many fucking times at this point. I'm just going to pull that trigger. You can find Gunk anywhere near Boggs in the <laughs> second area. And you can find me at Stephen Hilger. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all you do. We love you. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.
0: I want voice acting in the next one, and I want Pokemon <laughs> to say their names. Those are the two things Where I want. Where
1: the fuck is oh, Scyther? He's, he's cool.
0: But wouldn't would it be better if Scyther yelled Scyther? <laughs> what if it be yelled oh, Bazing? All right, goodbye. <laughs> oh, God. Is that how we're ending? See ya.
1: Who's that
0: Pokemon? It's Scyther. Bazinga. PWG. The worst garbage. The online.